Real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real, real phony gon' recognize, still, still recognize with. Like we always do with this time, I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. Welcome, everybody, to the KIRP Radio Show. I'm your host, Pudgy. You guys know how we do it, man. And this Sunday, we got something explosive for you guys out there. Everybody out there in Twitter land, everybody out there in Facebook land, I definitely appreciate you guys. And everybody outside of social media, too. Shout out to you guys, and we appreciate you guys for making us the number one black conservative show in the southeastern United States. We do a B.I.G. We don't care what anybody says. We do it our way. We do it big. And we appreciate you guys for holding it down, showing us a lot of love out there, man, because, you know, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be who we are and what we are today. And uh, on this week, if you folks don't know, I got a special guest on here with me by the name of Sonny Johnson. Everybody says hello to Sonny. Say hi. Hi, Sonny. How you doing? <laughs> Ain't nobody saying What's that. up, Pete? What's up, baby? How you? I 
am chilling. First week home in a while, so mm-hmm. I had to get back to family life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had some uh, family come over this week, and uh, my brother's here. My, my cousin was here. My couple cousins were here. And, uh, you know, we had a good time, man. We talked about a lot of politics and a lot of politics and a whole lot of card playing. Well, well, we, me and my brother played cards. They, they didn't play. They, they were playing, you know, but, you know, we did our thing yeah, on the state I- table. I saw I saw your little tweets about playing spades. You don't want none. You know no. you don't want none. I would have to get you on the table one day. Uh oh. See here we go. See this this is what I like right here because I got everybody out here. We got people witnessing. We gonna have to record it because I want everybody to see me beat the super celebrity in spades. <laughs> I was almost said tap on that ass. Y'all know how I do, man. Rocking with us this Sunday. Y'all know it's gonna be big. We got other. Brandon Darby on the show with us. Brandon Darby, man, with us, and uh, he gonna hold it down. Uh, can break some bread with us and let us know what's going on with you guys out there. What's going on with him and what's really going on in America? Brandy's Brandon, Brandy, excuse me, Brandon. Uh, you know, I was following his uh, radio show. I had a, had a chance to listen to some of the shows that he and uh, Shannon Hand does the base of the Blog Talk Network. And uh, have you listened to any of the shows, Sonny? Oh, no, I haven't. I actually got to meet Brandon in, in person. And I sat down and I talked with him. And I was like, wait a minute. Why don't I know you? <laughs> Why doesn't everybody know you? So it's a pleasure for me to get to sit in tonight. North Carolina families are affected by autism. One out of every 110 children born today will be diagnosed with autism. If you have any questions or need support, we can help. The Autism Society of North Carolina can be reached at 800-442-2762. Again, that's 800-442-2762. Remember, 60,000 North Carolina families are affected by autism, and one out of every 110 children born will be diagnosed with autism as well. If you need to reach them by the web, the address is www.autismsociety-nc.org. You can also reach them on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach them on YouTube. Love somebody today. All your trucking needs, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC. That's Allen's Trucking LLC, owner Brian Allen and BA Welding Incorporated. For all your trucking or your welding needs or transportation needs across the country, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Their number is 919-426-5455. Again, 919-426-5455. If you have transportation needs and you need to get your equipment there on time, make sure you contact Allen's
Welcome back, everybody, to the KIRP Radio Show. Sorry about that, man. We had a couple uh, couple technical difficulties there. I don't know. We had a power surge or something like that. And, uh, you know, the backup power kicks in, but uh, I guess it doesn't kick in fast enough. But at least we got the show back up rocking. Uh, Sonny back on here with me. Shout out to everybody who just logged on to the show, man, and welcome to the KIRP Radio Show. You can also find us on Twitter at RP Radio Show. You can find my co-host Sonny Johnson on Twitter at Sonny with a O S O N N I E Johnson. If you can't spell Johnson, what? You're on the wrong show. No, you heard it before. Also, check me out on Twitter at KRP Radio Show and at always find me on there talking junk, flirting with people, kicking it. I don't know. I'm probably bashing Obama. That's what I do best. Some folks say, but I'm not really bashing him. I'm just bashing his psycho policies and some of those things like that. But uh. You know, that's where we are, man. We also on Twitter. You can also find us online and you can find us on Facebook. Hit us up on the radio show. That's K-I-R-P radio show dot com. You can also log on to Facebook. No nobody Facebook today. So I want everybody right now to mosey on over to the Facebook page. That's Facebook.com slash K-I-R-P radio show. That's where we are. Leave your comments on there, your gripes, your beef. Whatever you might have, hit us up and let let us know how you feel about these shows and what's going on. And, you know, just let us know how you feel about what's going on. And I guess, um, moving right along, Sonny, I just want to ask you how your week been because I, I've seen a lot of posts going on here. You've been all over the place. Um, props to you guys, what you did with Politichicks. You guys went out west. I saw you shooting some big guns, some big guns out there somewhere. I, I don't, where were you shooting at anyway? I saw you guys somewhere with a bunch of guns around you. No, we was actually at Stoddard um, Firearms and Ammo down in Atlanta. Mm. Uh, he let us in, and, and oh my good, I was like a kid in a candy store. He's like, like yeah, you know they have, you know they had a whole wall of the test guns and stuff that you could um that you could rent and shoot inside the range. Yeah. Well, he was like, pick any one you want. You want to shoot this one, and he, you know he pulled the AK <laughs> down. I'm like, you gonna let me shoot the AK? And he was yeah. like, yeah. He pulled out a big old box of bullets. I was like, oh yeah, I'm about to have fun. So <laughs> that shout out to my politics. We had a blast at the range, and. I would say if you not, if you're not arming yourself now, it is not only a right, it is a responsibility. So always treat a gun like it's armed, like it's loaded. Make sure you learn proper safety, um, safety and responsibility and stuff. But go and have fun, get your aim on, and make sure you can protect <laughs> you in your house if it ever comes down to it. No doubt about that. You gotta be busting your guns, y'all know. Y'all know I'm told. I shoot my gun sideways. That's for everybody out there. I know we got some conservatives out there that you know they equate black folks to shooting guns sideways. So I, sh- I shoot my gun sideways and I still hit the target. How about that? So shout out to everybody out there. Make sure you take the time. Go to the gun range. Listen, folks. All jokes aside, because I was just joking just a little bit ago. In case you didn't know, well, I was a little bit serious, but you you know. Uh, <laughs> Make sure you guys are arming yourself for real because it's, it's coming to a point in time where if you look at what uh super I call him super sharp and now he's got a cape he's got his hair long he don't have the he don't have the gold chains no more but super sharp and you know he goes off he does his thing and you know right now with all the things that were happening in Chicago they started attacking the gun stores I, and I don't I don't understand that Sonny and I definitely want to ask you about that real quick but 
you know, Chicago. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you mention anything else about Chicago, let me tell you about the, the about the plan march. Did you see the post about the plan march they had in Chicago? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, Jesse Jackson planned this big rally, and it was supposed to be this big tribute to Trayvon. They was gonna, um, they was gonna march and protest on all of the gun shops. Five people showed up. Okay, five people showed up. Jackson, did, Jesse Jackson didn't even show up. <laughs> it so, wasn't enough money. This is that's the point. It wasn't the money. It was not the money, and we have to realize that we cannot live in a society where the criminals and the police are the only ones with guns. Okay, you need to protect your house and your family. Be armed. Teach your kids gun safety, and yeah. you wouldn't have to worry about it. Because I know I learned how to use a gun from my father. Yeah. But in my teenage years, I was you know, learning some different stuff from some different <laughs> from some different people. So make sure you're the one that you are the one that teaches your kid about gun safety. Man, I learned how to shoot my guns in the street. I ain't gonna sit here and lie See? to y'all. I gotta keep it one hundred. I I'm, a hey, I'm not even man. lying. I used to like I used yeah. to like clean a, never mind, never never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well I learned how to shoot my gun from this dude. I don't even know his name. He just came around my neighborhood one time and he had a gun. So I was like, can I shoot it? And he said, yeah. So I, I went in the middle of the street. I pointed it, look, like an idiot because I didn't know any better. Straight up in the air, and I fired off as many shots as my ears when they were ringing would let me do. Pow, 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 pow. And I love that adrenaline rush, but you know what? I learned the proper way later in life. But, you know, that that was my first experience with my fire. You making me you making me reminisce and I'm like thinking about stories of, of like shells popping down on me and burning me on the shoulders. You know, you just making <laughs> me go to some weird places that, you know, I wasn't even thinking about going today. <laughs> <laughs> it's real, I mean, because you know, we got we gotta understand, see, now I now I know another group of people like I, I got some rednecks homeboys, you know, my my redneck oh. homeboys will tell you different. They'll say they pop got drunk, gave him the gun and told, told him to go out there and kill something before he go to school. You know, that's why my man in, in uh, Washington State, shout out to, um, Jesus Christ, I ain't going to call his name out like that, but shout out to my people out there in Washington State, Jefferson City, all you guys out there in Oregon. You know, he said before he went to school every morning, his dad uh, would tell him, boy, go out and kill something before you go to school and uh, <laughs> then get dressed and walk walk on your way. So that's hey, what I, is, I have man. I have that too. I got a lot a lot of country, a lot of country people in my family, and that's that's average for them. And that's kind of where I learned how to shoot in the first place. They used to take us to a turkey. Look, I'm, look, you got me telling, you got me confessing way too much in way too short a period of time. But yes, I used to go to the turkey shoot, and the very first time I shot a rifle, I threw my shoulder out. And this is how country they are. Instead of, like, taking me to the hospital to get it checked or something, mm -hmm. my dad literally put his foot into my shoulder and pulled my <laughs> arm back in the socket. Ooh. And then they Whoa. gave me a free turkey. And that was, like, like my first experience <laughs> of shooting a rifle. Son of y'all would have clamped it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I ain't joking. I had a complex upbringing, man. You should cry for me. Hey, man, I, you know what, though? It, it made you who you are today, for real. And, and you know, some of the things that we right. learned, it, it, made it, it made me who I am today. And you know what, man? I, and I, I thank God for it because here we are, here we stand. We stand proud. We stand proud Americans. And we stand together and not divided by some of these issues that people try to throw out there and divide us within. So, you know what? I love it, man. I appreciate how you were brought up. Myself, too. Thanks to my family, everybody who did good and everybody who did bad. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me here. And here we are. There you go. I second that. Listen, it's 815. 
folks who, if you guys are new to the show, shout out to everybody out there, man. You listen to the KIRP radio show at Pudgy NC. Oh, I'm sorry, at NC Pudgy. That's me on Twitter for some of you Twitter folks who don't recognize the voice or don't know who I am. I'm hosting my own show this, this evening. My man Ella Thomas, author Ella Thomas, who's also bringing the show to the network called The L Experience. Uh, he's been hosting the show part-time for me while I've been traveling back and forth and uh, handling a little business here and there. And that's Sunny Johnson. If you guys don't recognize the voice, you people, you Twitter folks out there, she's on the show with me also co-hosting. And pretty soon we're going to bring in my man at Brandon Darby. I know you guys got to know who Brandon Darby is, man. If you can't figure it out, log on to www.darbystranahan.com. And that's where you can find a little bit of more information about him. You can hear his voice and match his voice from that show to this show. And we're going to get it on and pop it here in a second. But it's 8.15 or 16 now, and I'm late. You know, I'm on CP time. Got my girl Charlotte coming in here from StretchingYourBudget.com. She's going to tell you guys how to live a little bit more frugal, save a couple dollars, and I'm going to bring her in right now. Can we get a round of applause for Charlotte, please? Round of applause. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Charlotte, what's up? What's up? You like that round of applause we just gave you? Yeah. I did. You finally got it. Woo-hoo. We got it right. See, you deserve it. So we worked on it hard, and, and we got it. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, just for you. So going? it's going great my way. I hope it's going great your way. Um, You know, we got a lot of new people listening to the show this week. And uh, I've been bragging on you. Every, You know what? Everywhere I go, I brag on this segment of the show because, you know what? You do a great job. You've been an inspiration to me. You've actually helped me save some money in my household, and my wife can vouch for that. And, you know, right now we are couponing maniacs. Let me tell you. Coupon maniacs. My, let, let me tell the story real quick before I let you go on. My cousins okay. came this week, and, and my brother's here. And, uh, you know, they stay with they stay with us in the house. And we got a lot of rooms, so there's a lot of closets. So when they say, hey, man, do you have something? There's towels up there. I'm, I'm pointing all over the place. So they're just opening doors. My cousin <laughs> said, man, I'll tell you one thing. He said, you know what? I didn't find a towel yet. But, man, you got enough tissue to last until the, the uh, end of the <laughs> You know what I mean? So we got toilet paper everywhere. falling out into the towels. <laughs> yeah, we got stockpile all over, the, all over the place. And I said, you know what? I owe that to Charlotte. And he said, who's Charlotte? And then I said, hey, man, just listen to the show this week. So shout out to Travis. He's listening. Shout out to Phil. They're listening. Here's Charlotte from StretchingYourBudget.com. Charlotte, let the folks know what you got for them. Well, thanks for the shout-out and all of you listeners. Um, well, I missed you last week. I guess it was Father's Day. So, first of all, did you have a good Father's Day? I did. I was spoiled, and I was full on top of full, and Father's Day was beautiful for me, let me tell you. Well, that is wonderful news. Thank you. Well, um, I don't have a ton, um, but it's been a crazy week for me. But um, I just wanted to talk just a little bit about kind of just to show you how it is in my life with couponing, because a lot of people think, oh, she's perfect, she can do it all, and I get asked a ton, how do I have time to do what I do, and I honestly do not know. <laughs> That's my answer. But yeah. um, I just I just got through um, cleaning out a lot of my coupons, and I was getting really behind just, you know, juggling work, Two jobs, I guess I should say. Mom, being a wife, all that kind of stuff. And um, so I just found that I I needed to just step back for a little bit and just put my coupons to the side. And when I say to the side, I still kept them. I just wasn't cutting them as I should. So, um, you know, it 
it, they started to pile up. And I'm to the point where I have a stockpile that is pretty massive, I'll say. It's not like on TV, but in real life it would be considered massive, I guess, for most people. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I don't really have to go to the store every week unless we need milk or something like that. So I'm kind of to the point where I can just go um, whenever they have, like, a big couponing event. So you guys have heard me talk about our local store that does something called Super Doubles. That means they double coupon up to $1.98. So um, a lot of local stores do that. So if you're not sure, check your local grocery store and see. Um, I know quite a few stores that do that um, event. So Anyways, that event is going on for me right now. So I have been in a crunch trying to cut all these past coupon inserts that I have let slide because I haven't had to go to the store. And so I'm like, oh, they can just sit there. It's no big deal. So I've been cutting like five weeks' worth of inserts. And I I stayed up really late and tried to get it all done. The point of my story is that, you know, even though life happens and I'm the first one to say it does happen, um, it's okay to put things aside, but at least try to um, keep, like, a little lid on top of things. So, you know, I've realized, okay, and I'm the biggest, I guess, you know how they say doctors are your own worst patient. I guess I'm, like, the worst <laughs> couponing patient. But um, so I can preach it all day long, but I just wanted to give you, like, a little insight of how it really, you know, real life is. But, you know, so now I've started, I'm always telling people to keep, all their coupons because you never know when the sale is going to come up on an item that you don't use normally. Or you're like, oh, I've never used that brand or I've never used that product. But if it becomes free, you might decide that that's something that you want to use. Um, so I had the same instance happen um, with a friend of mine. So she doesn't clip every single thing. She just clips things she thinks she'll use. So it never fails if we go shopping together. She's like, oh, I don't have that coupon. I'm like, you threw it away, didn't you? And she's like, yep. So it it you know, you have to find a balance. But so for me I've decided, um, you know, I clip everything except for something I a hundred percent know I'm not gonna use, like depends or um polygrant polydent or whatever, you know, so something that I know for sure that I will never ever use, um, then I won't clip it. But if it's something that I may use or if it's a new product, then I go ahead and try to clip everything and, and organize them. So the moral of my story is, and I know I'll ramble a little bit, but the moral of my story is just to try to maintain throughout the week, um, and we've talked about this before, I try to sit down Sundays when I get the coupons and just go ahead and flip them. Um, The more organized you can stay, the less stressed out you'll be when it's time for you to go to the store. So while I've been scrounging around trying to clip all my coupons this week, frantically, um, it would have been prevented if I would have just taken a few extra minutes, you know, to to do that. So it's just finding a balance. And I kind of talked about this last week, um, just trying to, you know, find what works for you. And I'm a big proponent, proponent of that because I don't want people to give up if they feel like that they can't fit it all in. Um, but every time I, I you know, for this huge haul at the grocery store, it, it kind of brings it all home and, and re- reminds me of why I do it. So, um, yeah, with that set up, I had some really awesome trips this week. Yay! Well, <laughs> yay! Well, you know what? I, I think you do an exceptional job, and you know, just looking at your website, which a lot of people flock to, man, and that that's a great piece of information out there 
on savings for folks. So if you guys are really serious about living better to, to everyone listening, you know, please tell someone else. If you're really serious about saving dollars, if you're re- really serious about, you know, shopping and living a little bit more frugal, I mean, just saving money in general, man, just go to stretchingyourbudget.com and uh, look at some of the things that Charlotte has on there. There are always free coupons for something on there. So, you know, just take the time and do the necessary steps and, you know, you can save a couple more dollars, Charlotte. I think you do an exceptional job of that. So I, I thank you if no one else does. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I always look for your uh, praise each week. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean it because, like I said before, we got a lot of little lot of little people in this house, and they love to eat. And when they don't eat, they mess up food. So we got to find out a way, yep. you know, how to uh, compensate for some of the losses that we endure when they throw food away or they leave it out or leave the bread open and, you know, stuff like that. They do a good job. Though. I love mm-hmm. my babies. Shout out to my kids. But this is a way that you can provide for them without having to break the bank. So. Well, is there anything that's, that's on? Is is there anything special that's on your website this week? I haven't checked it out yet. I have I haven't had the time to go on there and uh, prepare myself for this because you always you know drop some bombs on here for us. But is there anything on there that uh that just stands out that we can probably learn from right now? Um. Well, I just wrote a post on um, some of the benefits of online shopping. You know, I talk about that quite a bit. I'm kind of a huge fan of that. Um, you can just kind of search. You, on, once you get on our website, at the very top, there will be a Google search bar within my site, and you can search, you know, some of your favorite topics that you might want to learn about, and it will pull from my site things that I've written about. So there's several detailed posts that I, I you know, have, have a lot of information. I've got some that share places that you can find coupons. A lot of people ask me, you know, where do I find all these coupons? So I've got that kind of stuff on our site. So if you just do a little Google search within our site, it'll pull up some of the things that you might be looking for. But you can see some of my really big trips this week if you want to check those out. I've got some of those posted pictures and numbers so you can kind of see how I do it. And um, I'll have a few more up the rest of this week. So I love it. I will definitely be looking out for it. And I'm going on there, and I'm going to look at some pictures, and I'm going to click like, just like the obsessive. Don't you you guys love the obsessive likers that likes all your photos? You guys ever had that happen before? I love those people. I See, people people complain about that, but let me tell you guys, if you're my Facebook friends or my Twitter friends out there, I want you to like every daggone photo that I have out there. Show us some love. Like all the photos. I don't care if you share them. Send them to your mama, your daddy, your grandmama. Let your kids like them. Just like, 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 like. I appreciate that kind of love, man. I love that, that kind of that love. That tells us that what we're doing, you like what we're doing as people that have Facebook pages. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with so. the new Facebook changes, it's harder for if you don't like us, then you we won't show up in your feed. So you'll yeah. miss what we're posting. So. Well, there it is. The more that- you like, the more it'll pop up in your feed and you'll see all the things that we're posting about. See, you heard that? You heard it from the frugal lady herself. This is the little lady that live on the corner with all the extra tissue in the closet. Charlotte, you got any shout-outs? Um, not really. I, I kind of have a praise report. Can I share that? Or oh, not absolutely. a praise report, a prayer request. I'm sorry. I have a prayer oh, request. Hold on. Let's, we got to cut the music for that, please. Okay. Yeah, go go for it. Absolutely, with your prayer request. This is my little somber moment. I don't have many of these, but we have a really dear friend of Ben. Ben's my husband, if you guys are new to the show. Um, His best friend was in a car wreck last Friday, 
and um, his mom was killed instantly. So um, he's in ICU. He just came out of ICU actually last night, so he's been there for a week. But he's slowly making progress, so I just ask that all you guys out there would just say a little prayer um, for him and his family um, as they help him recover and mourn the loss of their mom. So we can so absolutely. Ben's kind of been that. taking it a little tough this week, but it's been a he's been at the hospital every day. <laughs> well, so, that's well, a moment, but. you know what? We 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 take prayer requests serious. We take prayer serious, and you know I'm always joking on the show. But all jokes aside, you know my heart goes out to you guys. My heart goes out to their family, and I will definitely say a prayer for you guys without a doubt. And I'm sure all the listeners on this show don't mind saying a prayer for you too. And, uh, you know, just tell Ben to hang in there, man. The best thing that he can do is be around and, you know, just lend yep. an ear. Lend a hug, lend an ear, lend a hand. Whatever you can do, you know, is beneficial in a time like this because you, no one knows. You know, my mom My mom actually said something once that made perfect sense. When her friend's um, mom died and, you know, my grandmother passed, which is my mother's mom, and uh, she said these words. She said, you know, I thought I knew until I lost my mom when another friend loses theirs. So you mm-hmm. no one really knows what it feels like. I, and I say all that just to say that no one really knows what it feels like unless you've been there. So you know what? Right. Just just try to be there for the people when they're going through something like that and, and lend them a hug, lend them an ear, lend them a prayer, and now offer whatever you can offer to make them feel a little bit more better going through something like that. Exactly, yeah. It's been, um, it's been kind of, I, I hesitate to say, but it's been kind of cool, um, and that might sound really weird, but God's really been able to just kind of show up there. And so, you know, he's kind of used Ben as a light and just to be a witness and has just been able to pray for him. And it's just been really cool that he's kind of been open to it. And um, so it's just, it's even though it's a really sad moment, it, it's, kind of turning into good if, if that makes sense so. it makes it makes perfect sense when you're a believer and i'm a believer <laughs> yep so i knew i could count on you guys so i just wanted to share that really quick because you never can have too much prayer right that's right no doubt about that <laughs> so um you know shout out to them and, and, and i wish you guys the best you know my heart goes out to to ben's friend and and to you and your family thanks for what you do charlotte and uh we'll hear from you next week thank you have a good week all right you too coming up next right, folks is uh Sonny Johnson, of course, and my man Brandon Darby coming through the show. And uh we're gonna run this here in a minute. So you guys get ready, hold on to your seats, get your seat belts if you got them out, go ahead and get your smoke breaks because we're going to a commercial, but when we come back, we're going in, we're going in, we going in. Come on, rock with me. We going in, I'm dancing, we going in, I'm dancing, we going in, yeah. You listen to the KIRP radio show, the number one black conservative radio show, Southeastern United States, and I do it my way, we do it our way, and we don't say sorry because we are who we are. Who are we? Conservatives, baby. We'll be right back after this message. For all your trucking needs, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC. That's Allen's Trucking LLC, owner Brian Allen and BA Welding Incorporated. For all your trucking or your welding needs or transportation needs across the country, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Their number is 919-426-5455. Again, 919-426-5455. If you have transportation needs and you need to get your equipment there on time, make sure you contact Allen's Trucking LLC.
Soundshoe, the number one online music tournament, encompasses seven different genres, including hip-hop, R&B, country, reggae, reggaeton, pop, rock, and gospel. Music artists, log on to Soundshoe.com to compete for a chance to have exclusive access to music listeners across the globe. Build relationships with other music artists and music professionals, plus maximize your exposure and gain worldwide attention. Music listeners, log on now to enjoy new music from up-and-coming artists then vote for the songs you like best to ensure that your favorite artist wins also check out the latest in music news music execs and producers scout music talent to find your next big star musicians and voters sign up for sound Chew today that's www.soundchew.com s-o-u-n-d C-H-E-W. Once again, that's www.soundchew.com, the number one online music tournament. America, the NFL and United Way are inspiring kids to get healthy and more active. Join the Play 60 movement. Pledge to Play 60 today at liveunited.org. I believe you can tell a lot about our governor and lieutenant governor by the way they lead our state. We have great challenges facing us and need strong, courageous, visionary leadership to see us through. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina Lieutenant Governor. As an architect, senior partner, and office president of the state's largest design firm, I was accustomed to solving complex problems for my clients. Architects are creative problem solvers, and that's what we need more of in Raleigh. And we need more business leaders, not more politicians. Over the past 10 months, I've visited the majority of the counties in North Carolina multiple times. I've traveled over 80,000 miles listen to thousands of North Carolinians share their solutions to the challenges we face. Did you know North Carolina ranks 41st in the nation in K-12 education, 36th in graduation rate, 43rd in unemployment, 38th in business tax climate, 42nd in illegal immigration? This is just not acceptable. I believe it's time to look at the failed policies of our current governor and lieutenant governor and demand real leadership for North Carolina. As your next Lieutenant Governor, I will tackle these issues head on and provide the strong, courageous, visionary leadership needed to lead our state through these challenging times. Over the next few months, I'll be sharing solutions to these challenges, and I hope you will take the time to share them with your friends and family and give me your feedback. I believe we can turn America around, and I believe we should start right here in North Carolina. I'm Dan Forrest, conservative candidate for North Carolina Lieutenant Governor, and I ask for your support. Run, Forrest, run! Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Your home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
Yeah, welcome back to the KRRP Radio Show, folks. My bad. I'm I'm just talk. Look, I I just talked for about two three minutes, man. I forgot to hit the button. That's what happened when you produce your own show, man. But shout out to everybody and on Twitter, man, and hit us up. If you guys want to hit us up on the web, listen, I'm gonna do this real quick because I got a man waiting on the line and I got Sunny right here waiting and we trying to show everybody a lot of love and cover a whole lot of topics. Listen, if you're online, here's how you can get involved at kirpradioshow.com. Let me slow it down for the email that I got from one of the listeners. You say that too fast at k. I R P Radio Show. I hope you got it. Also at NC Punchy, that's me. At Sonny Johnson, Sonny with an O. Hope you figured it out. At Brandon Darby, we're all on Twitter. Hit us up. We're also on iTunes Podcast. Let's get this show. Let's get this party started. Sonny, what's up? What's up? I was sitting there like, what is he doing? Man, you know what? I was drinking. Yeah, I'm about to say he didn't. He done took he done took my tweet too seriously when it got him a rum and coke and forgot he's on the radio. You know what? I sure did almost. <laughs> Got some uh, Strawberry Hill right here. <laughs> so did you just say Strawberry Hill? Some Strawberry Hill. Yep. Are a- you drinking Bulls Farm? You know I am. I'm drinking ghetto wine. You know what? I just pulled one of your ghetto cards. That's just snatched right from you. Mm-hmm. Sure am. <laughs> We drunk all the good stuff with the guests. We took it out of the freezer. <laughs> I don't have a wine cellar. I got a room where I keep all the drinks for people because I don't really drink like that. But Sonny told me to drink before the show, so I looked in there, and I'm like, dang, man, it's only some strawberry Don't put that on me. So I pulled it don't out. Don't put and that on me. Yeah, I, I, had hard li- I had hard liquor. You over here drinking booze farm. Y'all got hard liquor, but I ain't going to mess with that right Let's bring Brandon on because this is <laughs> Thinking I, I went to listen to his podcast, man, and he got me all hyped. Brandon, what's up, brother? How are you? Hey, what's going on? Thanks <laughs> for having me on. Hey, man, I'm glad. Y'all talking about, about Boone's Farm, man. Oh, no. <laughs> See, tell him, Brandon. Oh, no, tell you know, him he just got his car pulled well, no, for that at least, he didn't, at least he didn't say Mad Dog, so I'm still cool with him. That's all right. <laughs> you know? The Mad Dog. No, I, I won't do the Mad Dog. No, great, me, the great me, Mad Dog, yeah. Let me get a jump in because I want to do a little introduction of Brandon. Please do. All right. Here you go. I judge people by content of their character, right? Sure. And I'd rather see a person in, per, in, in person, a person, you know, rather than talking to somebody that have to judge them. So let me tell you about the two things I noticed about Brandon. 
Okay, so we met at a at Ro- in Rhode Island at a conference, mm-hmm. and I was sitting by myself, and Brandon just comes up, lights a cigarette. Who are you? What's your, what's your name? What do you do? You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's yeah. the very first impression you get of Brandon. And here goes the second one. We were sitting outside, and it was a guy that was standing behind him, and we were with Anita Minecraft, and she was like, hey, why is that dude standing behind Brandon like that? I don't like that. Why? That dude needs to get from behind Brandon like that, right? So Brandon was sitting there looking at his phone, right? He turns around, looks at the dude right in his face, laughs, and then goes right back down to his phone. Wow. I said, you know what? I like you. I like you a lot. And then when I got to actually talk to him, amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for coming, Brandon. Oh, I'm happy to be on the show. I really am, Sonny. I like you. I think highly of you. I think highly of what you have to say. I think highly of you as a speaker. You know, and I think you have a lot to offer. And in the in the coming years, I think uh, you're just going to grow and grow because you got a lot to say. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Sonny has a lot well, to say. I, we get to force I'm her. definitely not going to turn on no compliment from man. So thank you. <laughs> hey Brandon, let let the people know. Uh, let let if you would let the people know um, in your own words a little bit about yourself uh, briefly, if you could, just to give them an overshadow of uh, who Brandon Darby is. Well, I mean, I, I'll do my best here. Um, you know, I, I uh, always kind of qu- catch you trying to figure out where to start with that. But, um, you know, I was a, I was a teen raised in, in – uh, when I was a kid, I was raised in a, in a reasonably rough area of Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, at 13, I ran away. I stayed gone and uh, throughout my 13th and, and most of my 14th year and then um, kind of straightened up after that. But I had a lot go on during that time. And uh, my boys had a place on my heart, I think, for helping people who were in a bad spot. And I kind of fell into what I think is a dominant narrative in society that says if you want to help people, then you're a leftist, and if you want to just help yourself and be greedy, then you're you're a conservative or you're on the right. Mm-hmm. And I fell into that. And so I just kind of always assumed I was on the left because of the how radical I got about helping people. And then at some point um, – you know, a lot of a lot of prominent activists, people who went on to become very prominent on the left, and organizers uh, got a hold of me in Austin, Texas. At that point, I'd moved there, and they began to, you know, give me the UAP Newton Reader and really get me in touch with um, a lot of, I guess, radical leftist thought. Um, yeah. And uh, and uh, I took that in, and I really, it, it, I got politicized at that point, and it really made sense to me how radical the people had gotten. There's a lot of things I got radical about I don't agree with, but they were very radical about, about people who were in a, a severe position of need, and I really liked that. So um, I kind of became friends with some former Panther Party members who were very prominent, um, kind of went down that path, and then when Hurricane Katrina hit, I, uh, I went to help a couple of former Black Panther Party members in the city uh, immediately, and I ended up doing relief efforts. And um, very quickly, a, a lot of really crazy stuff happened. Um, we got a lot of attention for the crazy stuff that happened. We can get into that later. What happened there was pretty intense. But um, so next thing you know, I found myself co-founding a relief organization uh, in a predominantly black city as a white organizer with a former Black Panther and then this a guy who's an eco-terrorism advocate who's actually really big in the world of anarchism, Occupy, and eco and animal rights terrorism. So the three of us founded this organization, and I got assigned by Malik Rahim, the Panther who who a former Panther who I was the older of all of us, um, I got assigned to be the organizer of the Ninth Ward. And 
That was the hardest hit area, the upper and lower ninth ward. And so I I learned a lot. I had a lot of experiences. We ended up having about 23,000 volunteers come through. Um, We had a few million dollars that we had raised, and we did a lot of good for people. Um, But one of the things that came up is as I started to have – I started to have these realizations that I wasn't, that I wasn't, policy-wise, I wasn't really a leftist, you know. And these things began to come up. At that point, I kind of accessed the halls of my heroes. And so when I went out to eat, I wasn't talking about, you know, Geronimo Pratt or any of the other former Panthers. I I was eating dinner with them and going out drinking with them and becoming their friends. And I I began to realize that there was a, a lot of, a lot of colorful framing and how they presented things that we were experiencing and going through to the media. And and I began to realize, like, wait a minute, these are the people who I've allowed to frame my historical worldview, you know, my worldview and my, my view of history, and they're full of it when it comes to certain things going now. How much of what they said to me was full of it? So all these things happened. We got invited to Venezuela by Hugo Chavez. I went as an emissary for our group. A lot of crazy stuff happened. By the time I came back, I had decided after two and a half years that I really didn't want to have anything else to do with this group, and I got very confused, and I left. Um, and then after that point, uh, you know, I I, uh, I got away from a lot of the, the more radical folks on the left, but some of them didn't get away from me, and they kept sharing stuff with me. And this Palestinian guy who was a head of the largest Palestinian nonprofit in the U.S. called the Palestinian Children's Welfare Fund, he um, he approached me, and he had – he had basically skimmed off two to five hundred thousand dollars from the organization mm-hmm. donations, and he wanted to get it to, to blow Israeli citizens up. And I turned him into the FBI. And at that point, I decided that not only was I going to get away from the people that wow. were so radical, but but I was actually going to work against them and try to interfere with them and, and help protect our country from them. And I did that. I worked undercover with the, the International Terrorism Division of the Joint the Ch- Joint Terrorism Task Force of the FBI. And in 2008, when a number of, of prominent left-of-center groups went to to uh, shut down the Republican National Convention by any means necessary, um, uh, I helped stop a, a few bomb plots that occurred, but one of them went to trial, so my identity came out. And um, at that point, the entire left establishment from the New York Times all the way down attacked me. And, um, and it was really bizarre, like just... You know, all the shelters I started in New Orleans, none of that was there anymore. They started the New Orleans Times-Picayune, which is a major metropolitan paper. They deleted mm-hmm. all their positive stories about me from the archive Wow! and uh, just began to smear me. I mean, I, and I have proof of it. That's what's so weird about it. But um, they began to smear me, and, and all of a sudden I was this evil, gun-toting, right-wing, you know, uh, misogynist who who slept with women, who abused women, who beat people with pistols. I mean, I was just crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Across the board, it just began to get smeared with, and um, I decided rather than go into witness protection, or rather than um, whether, rather than uh, you know go away, I decided I would fight back and actually defend the things that I had done and the, and the people I had done them with uh, to protect our country. And about a year later, that's when Andrew Breitbart came in my life, and he mm-hmm. called me, got a hold of me. He had heard me. Uh, NPR and This American Life did a big special about me called Turncoat, and Andrew heard it, and he decided he wanted to talk to me, and he said, why don't you defend yourself and say this? And I said, I do. They don't repeat what, they won't report what I say. They just smear me. And he said, well, you can use my website to defend yourself, and I'll never tell you what you can and can't say, or what your, your, I don't care what your politics are. 
And I did, man, I hit it with a vengeance. And it's just since that time, you know, um, now I just, I, I pretty much travel around the country talking about my experiences, organizing people, um, you know, running a, a nonprofit that Andrew and I started together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I go after people who, who, are, who are getting bullied. I go after people who are bullying people like the left bullied me. Now they can't really bully me because I have a, a pretty big microphone. But there's still a lot of people who you, you see on the left or you see who are more moderate who are trying to come out and, and say something about the lies they see around themselves, and they get beaten up and smeared for it. So I try to find those people and make sure that I do for them what Andrew did for me. And that's kind of where I'm at today. So it's a, it's a long, crazy history, but there's a lot of experiences there um, that are, are very valuable in our movement. You know, like, like the experiences I had in the Ninth Ward, you know, we had four months before ACORN came back. Yeah. And um, they, they literally, we had four months. And, and so by the time they came back, we were already going strong and had massive community support, massive, you know, we were the ones sheltering people. We were the ones feeding people. We were the ones doing everything. And most of what we did was led and, and run by community members and so when acorn came back steve bradbury and he says well you know um you need to submit to us and you need to work under our umbrella raise money for us and let us distribute the money and i said well you know i have a problem with that steve you know we have a problem here because to me the community leaders are all these people i've been working with and they're not you they don't see you as a community leader so Mm -hmm. the only people who see you you're a self-proclaimed community leader Mm -hmm. and a bunch of white liberals (laughs) and, and universities they call that these white liberals call you a community leader, but I just don't see any black people from the ninth ward asking to work with you, you know? Yeah. And so that's, that's where that's, I got into that's, this that's, real dilemma. Yeah, that's, that's the point I where I want dilemma. you to kind of, before you keep going into it, because I find it real interesting. If you can go back to right when the storm hit, um, and and what happened as soon as you got to New or- uh, into New Orleans, and what you found as soon as you got to New Orleans. Well, that's a that's a whole. See, there was two trips to New Orleans. The first, um, and it was a, it was a really interesting situation because the storm hit, and I was really close with a with a, a former Black Panther named Robert King Wilkerson, and uh, Robert uh, King, I call him King. He uh, he stayed and he got trapped, and so I I went to the the predominantly white activist community in Austin, Texas, and I said. And the reason I say that is I'm trying to make – I actually don't see people with such distinctions, but I'm trying to make the distinctions that they make of themselves so I can yeah. identify yeah. the different groups. And, and it's and necessary. With me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I go to them, and and I said, look, we need to go and get King. And they're like, well, uh, we're volunteering at the Red Cross. And I said, well, look, we're the radical ones, so if we don't just go <laughs> and, and do something – you know, everybody's going to volunteer at the Red Cross here in the shelters, but we need to go do something to get our friends. Well, that was a miserable, that was miserable hell because I don't know if you remember what it was like at the time, but the images of people and what was going on, but it was really painful when you looked at the shelters the Red Cross had set up and you got online looking for people and trying to find where people you loved were, you know, Uh, the chaos of it. And there were so many thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, and they were like, hey, I'm Demetrius' mom. Um, if if you've seen my son, please let me know. Let him know his mom is okay from block so you know, just this really intense how people knew him and they were trying to reach out to people and you just saw the pain in people and then you see the updates where the mother was getting more and more frantic about not finding her son, you know, over yeah. days and so on the third day I just told everyone, I said, Look, we need to go and get our friends and they said, Well, you know, uh we're gonna have a meeting next Monday at Spokes Council 
and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out and see what our community is gonna do. And I said, I'll tell you what, man, that's cool. So I went to Academy and I bought a 14 foot flat jumbo with a 10 horsepower Mercury motor, and I had no, no idea what to do with that thing. And um, I hooked it up to my truck. I got a bunch of gear, and I just drove. You know, I went. Yeah. And um, about halfway in the trip, another guy called me named Scott Crow, who now hates me. It doesn't matter. He's the eco-terrorism guy. And we drove. And when when we got there, the red, we got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the Red Cross sent us and 274 boats, of, of teams of people, away. And wow. even though all those people were dying, that was on the third day. They sent us away and said that they had it under control, that, that Wildlife and Fisheries and FEMA and the National Guard and the Coast Guard had it under control. And they didn't have it under control. They sent us away, but I was just wild enough to say, oh, hell no. So if anyone knows about New Orleans, it, there's this huge lake right by New Orleans called Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Lake Pontchartrain goes into Lake Bourne, and Lake Bourne goes into the Gulf of Mexico, basically, right? Mm-hmm. right. So, which goes into the Atlantic Ocean. And um, so it's huge. It's like 30 miles across. or I mean, something insane, right, 25 miles across. And um, so what we did was we decided we would go around Lake Pontchartrain mm-hmm. and, um, and get into the city. But we saw a lot of heart- heartbreaking things. We saw a lot of people who had showed up looking for relatives and the home was gone. I mean, just sad, sad things. And we finally were able to get into the city. Uh, at some point, though, we were getting shot at. People were desperate on the third day. People were dying. And people, you know, there were two guys in a boat, and they wanted the boat because they wanted to get the hell out of there. And we decided that in order to go and get our friend, you know, who was probably on his roof, we figured, in order to get him, we would have to actually go through other people. And we decided it wasn't right to do. So ultimately, it got too bad. It got insane. All this crazy stuff happened. We finally made it out of the city, went across Lake Pontchartrain, got back to our our vehicle, and we left. And when we got back to Austin, Texas, everyone – Everyone mocked us, and everyone said, we told you, you wing nuts. We told you not to do that. That was stupid. You just wasted your money and your time, and you risked your life. And, and so I really couldn't stand it. Well, then right like the next day, we get a call from Malik Rahim, and he says, hey, I'm in Algiers, which is right across the Mississippi River. It's part of New Orleans, you know, proper, or metropolitan area. And he says, but there are these, these, these uh, local, like, racist guys, and they've teamed up with a couple of cops who stayed around, and they've shot a lot of unarmed black people, man. Wow. And so we man. at that point, well, th- this, isn't, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Like anyone listening can Google New Orleans police officer prison uh, burning black body. Like Google that. And if you, don't, if, you don't, if, if you don't come up with mainstream media reports showing the police officers going to trial and going to prison, right, if you don't come up with that, then if you don't come up with anything on Danziger Bridge, if you don't come up with that, then I will I will give you my vehicle and everything else I, I own. Like it's there. It's not a conspiracy theory. It factually happened. It's not that the police did that, but as, it was that a group of police went corrupt and worked with a local group of racist men to go around and round up and get rid of black people. That's what they did. It happened. It just so happened that that was in this Panthers neighborhood. So. At that point, I had been shot at so many times, and I'd had so many guns stuck in my face, and most of the guns stuck in my face were by Blackwater or by people working with law enforcement. And at that time, you know, I did buy into the Panther ideology, so I was, I was very much, I was not a fan of police officers. I'll put it that way at the time. And um, so I was, I was pretty upset. And so I bought an AK, I legally bought a bunch of guns. I bought an AK-47 and a bunch of other firearms, and then I went to this Panther's house. And... Um, what we did was we decided as a, as, as a group of people and as a bunch of neighbors who now had firearms, 
we decided that uh, we weren't going to tolerate that anymore. So we took this stance, and they told us to leave. We said no. It got really uncomfortable, but they stopped killing people, and they stopped rounding people up. And then at that point, um, that's when law enforcement really came down heavy on us. But then Michael Moore came in, Veterans for Peace came in, Medea Benjamin came in, all of these really prominent people on the left. And in their minds, here was a bunch of Panthers, a bunch of black guys and two white radicals taking up arms again against the government. That's how they saw it. I didn't see it as taking up arms against the government. And it, nothing I did was illegal. I was taking up arms against people trying to hurt other people, you know, and, and, yeah. in a disaster area. But um, that, that word spread. And so what happened is we ended up with the entire American radical movement um, and Amer- anti-war movement and so forth. We kind of mobilized them into a relief or a network, and they started sending resources and people. And then all of these movements from around the world were like, whoa. So they started sending emissaries to meet with us, you know. And everyone thought like, okay, this is so devastated. There's no government. And, um, and uh, this is going to be like some revolutionary movement in the United States. That's what everyone thought at the time. Mm-hmm. I even kind of thought that too a little bit. And I know it sounds crazy, but you just have to have been there. It was, it was pretty, the whole situation was crazy, you know. Like we didn't have electricity for months. We didn't have medical services. We didn't have a lot of things. And so um, at that point, it kind of reinforced what the Panthers had always taught me um, about police and so forth. But it wasn't until um, – so that's some crazy stuff, I know, but you have to understand that to understand why later Venezuela invited us and why, why this Palestinian man trusted me and then why ultimately I was so good undercover with the, with the International Terrorism Division. You have to understand the reputation that we had from that incident that occurred, you know. And was, um, was this a what, where were the people's mindset? Did did the general population understand what was going on at the time of the things that you guys saw well, amongst all the chaos? Well, oh yeah, 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 totally did. But see, here's the catch, though. So in short order, I'm in the ninth ward now in the hardest hit area, and what happened? And and it's it, to say it's racism, and I mean we could get deep and go into the People's Institute stuff about. You know about like well internalized racism and internal. And we could get all deep, but but the situation or like the black leaders adopted a white system of oppression or whatever they say. But here's the basic gist: is the city and the state were led by Democrats, and most of those leaders were were black leaders. So it, it's really kind of awkward when you start saying it was a racism issue. It wasn't a racism issue; it was an economic issue. And what occurred was the, these swaths of town that had, you know, back in in the day. Um, no one wanted because they were swampland, and so that is where black residents moved, and they bought a cheap plot of land, and these these people's grandmothers and grandpas built these houses with their own hands off. Right, right. Uh And on these plots of land. So these people have had these houses. I mean, you're talking about a very high rate of home ownership, not second houses, not rental property, but this was like a high, high rate, like 87, 89% rate of, of, of home ownership, I believe, in this predominantly black area, and people were very attached to it, but over time, the city began to want these areas because they were close to downtown. And so they began to implement all these laws over the last couple of decades to get these residents to sell their land, but the residents wouldn't sell their land because they were so attached to the property that the grandfathers and great-grandfathers had built, you know, and and built up. So when the storm happened, these are the people they shift to Alaska and they shift them way the hell away based upon what part of town they went. And then they began to try to use eminent domain for private commercial development. 
and take the private property <laughs> rights of this huge area of town. Jeez. Well, I got I looked at that, and the Supreme Court had just made it possible for eminent domain to be used for private commercial yep. development. Yeah, and I, I said, wait a minute. I said, right. So I began to to get funky, and I said, wait a minute. These residents. I said, if you're on the left. You could look at this as being what happened to Native Americans or another blight against the community of color. Or, but I said, but all Americans should care because if they're allowed to use eminent domain this loosely on this large, this large of an area for private commercial development, under these circumstances, that's going to destroy private property rights for all Americans. That's and right. And oh, man, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Medea Benjamin and all the Panthers were like, Brandon, what are you doing, bro? You're a spokesperson. And you're saying stuff about private property rights, and I'm like, <laughs> I support private property rights. Like, right. No, yo, 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 we don't, we don't do that. And I was like, I do that. What are you talking about? Because I do that. They're like, let me explain some stuff to you. Let me explain some stuff to you about Mao. Let me. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't do the no private. That's crazy. And they're like, Brandon, Brandon, you got to tone it down. And so at that time. There was this cop named John Bryson, and he was the captain of the Ninth Ward of the Fifth District, which was the Ninth Ward of, of New Orleans, the hardest hit area. Mm-hmm. And he, at first, you know, he didn't like me, and I didn't like him at all. And he was like, I, he was like, stuff that happened, and I said, yeah. And he said, well, if you pull what they did, you saw what happened. I mean, he got pretty intense with us because we were pretty militant, you know, but we were helping people. And so one day he called Brandon, and I said, yeah. And he goes, this is a uh, Captain Bryson. I said, yeah, I know. And he said, um. I just saw a bunch of young young men and women going around my area, and they were bringing uh, prescription medications to all these elderly people who can't drive the 20 miles to get the nearest, you know, medications filled. And I said, yeah, that's what we do, man. He goes, well, I'm having a really hard time disliking you when you're doing that. And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. When you're talking to me like this and not showing up with a SWAT team or something, I'm having a hard time disliking you too. And so he and I, we began to work together, and, and the dehumanization – that the left, and he's not—he's mostly a Democrat. He's not, but he's a conservative American. You know, he—he he, right. he just doesn't realize that the Democratic Party's gone way off in left field now. But he, um, he, once he became a human to me, the the dehumanization of cops and the dehumanization of patriots and the dehumanization of conservatives. Once that dehumanization was gone, and it was just ideas versus ideas, you know. The right really has a better argument about liberty and about self-sufficiency. They really do. We really do, you know. And um, so once that dehumanization left, that was the beginning of the end for me on the left. That really began to change things. So he and I started the first uh, women's shelter in the aftermath of Katrina that was available for for women in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Um, In the Ninth Ward, we did it with no governmental funding whatsoever. Uh, We did it with a really funky way of doing it that, that it rocked the nonprofit industrial complex because we didn't need anything from them, you know, right, and right, we right. didn't seek their approval. We didn't write any grants. We just said, I said, people are in need. We need to do something. So we got a gut. We put sheets up on the, we put sheets up on the walls and put some cots in there with a the generator. And we started to admit elderly black women. And people said, this is horrible. And I was like, all that's available, you know, it's all yeah. that's available. And if you think it's horrible, rather than complaining, why don't you come and help us fix it up? And then people began to do it. Because they saw the action, and and within a month we had a sustainable running women's shelter with staff. You know, and yeah. like, well, how is that possible? It's because we didn't do it the old left of center liberal like like nonprofit industrial complex, uh, you know, supported way. We just did it with the people and got it going on. And so we started just doing these really in your face tactics like that. And the city would say, well, you can't do this, and I'm like, 
if you really want to shut down the only women's shelter in a predominantly black area, you know, in the aftermath of Katrina, go right ahead. You know, the media will love it. Go right ahead. Have fun. And you know? Have fun and there, Nathan. And you talk about the demonization, and that's one thing that, that we see with the name calling that they do to all of us. But the humanization is, is what I is what I really found so fascinating when me and you were talking, because when you were talking about the leadership of the community, you weren't talking about the, the hierarchs in all of these organizations. You were talking about the grandmothers that had been there. And what right. what did you get from them? I mean, what what did you get out of the experience well, from the people and not so much the events that happened? Well, that was what was so interesting. And so I was had, had to learn a lot. So what was going on was I very quickly realized what the city was trying to do to take the property away with the big developers, right? And I said, okay, mathematically here, just logically, what is the best way to stop this from happening? Yeah. So I took the ninth ward, I drew it in a grid pattern, right? And I, I, I took every, like, square inch on my map, and I said, I have to get a resident who owns property in each square inch back and support them being there temporarily with no government dollars, you know, because it was illegal to do this at the time. It was civil disobedience. And I said, I have to get somebody back in every square inch, every block of this property, basically, this, this neighborhood, this area. And if I can do that, then there's no large swath that they can come in and take. So what I did was I, I, I took a, a piece of paper and I wrote a flyer out, and I made copies of it. And I said, here's what we're doing. It's called the Ninth Board Flyer. And I said, here's what we're doing. And I put my name and my cell phone on it, and I told them what I thought was trying to, the people were trying to do, and I said, let's put our heads together. So I put that on every door of the ninth ward, and I started walking the streets, and then a couple of other people said, hey, that's great. What are you doing? I said, I'm putting these on every door. They said, can we help you? I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. So we started doing it, and every time someone else stopped, they started helping us. We ended up with a lot of people helping. We got every door flyer, and then what we did was we put it on the Internet, and we said, hey, everyone in every city, print these flyers out and take them to every black church, take them to every, like, Red Cross station and center, take them to every place where any possible person from New Orleans could be, you know, who who had to flee because of the storm. Take them there and make sure they know that we're here. And people began to call, and then people began to help me answer the calls. And next thing you know, we had a resident back on every square block, every block of that town. Well, as the residents came back, we were smart about who we helped. Like, we'd usually help the grandma. We'd ask people, like, well, who who did you look up to in the neighborhood? And they're like, oh, on my block, there was Granny D. And I'm like, who's this? They're like, oh, so-and-so. You can find her here. And I was like, let me talk to her. And I would talk to her, and I would go meet with her, and she would agree. So she'd come back. She'd live on a cot in a gutted house with no sheetrock, no electricity, no running water, and she did that for her community. And mm-hmm. so she comes back, and then a lot of people did that. And so once those people were back, and then I said, well, wait a minute. We need a base of operations, a distro center, a clinic. We need, you know, rather than, like, going and renting a space in the nice area like some of the other nonprofits are doing and coming over here in a truck, let's just get a place that's an old school or it's an old church, and let's just tell them, let us use it for three months. We'll fix it up in exchange for you letting us use it to help the community, and then we'll move on to another place, and you'll have your place back, which allowed the community to come back, you know? And so we started doing that, and we steady did it. We hit it hard, and, and it worked. The program worked. Everything worked. And, and what I began to realize was a lot of the people would say to me, like, hey, Brandon, my kid's in the military and my kid's a cop. And, you know, he said, we work with you in, in spite of your politics, not because of your politics, you know. We don't wow. want nothing to do with that, man. Like, that's we don't a, want a house if the Ayatollah is going to pay for it, right? We yeah, just want – 
You know, so it, it really changed my views. I said, okay, so basically there's a bunch of, of white radicals, right, who are wanting this revolution, but none of the residents who were affected want that. They just want their house back. A storm happened. It wasn't handled properly. They all got too dependent on government and not just self-sufficient enough on themselves for decades, and this is what happened, and that's how they framed it. And, and I began to change my views, and people are like, we need more of this. And I'm like, why would you ask for more government when that's what the, the problem was in the first place? Right. Is that government comes in, and it's not that government helps, but the problem is government cannot help themselves but to come in and, while they try to help, make sure that you're not self-sufficient and make sure you don't have any initiative in helping yourself, you know? And so I began to realize these things, and it's the same thing with us. We went in the first kitchen we started. We, we all of us got together and we, we set up all these rules and protocols and pans and, and procedures and what, what the menu was going to be. And we're like, now, now all you grandmothers out there, come and help. And none of them got involved. And none of them got involved because they had no ownership in it, right? So the yeah. next kitchen we started, I said, wait a minute. I said, here's the kitchen, here are the pots and pans, and, like, here's the budget for food that we can afford. So if you guys want to come and lead a kitchen and figure it out, let me know, and we'll do what you say. And they, then everyone got involved. And the reason they got involved was because we left creativity to them. We gave them room to create, to be inventive, to f- fill their own community's needs, and, and, and to, to have a sense of ownership and not just following some protocol like, a, like the leftist, liberal, nonprofit, industrial complex or aid complex. And so they came in and owned it, and then they ran it, and then it, it functioned perfectly. And then as it would function, we'd help them get nonprofit status, they'd go about their business, and then they have their own thing so we could move on with our skills and keep creating more stuff and more stuff. And so part of the problem, though, was like when Acorn came back and was so ugly about stuff, and I used to tell them, I'd say, guys, these are the community leaders, and they're doing just fine without you, you know. You've gotten all the dollars from the government for years. And your pastors have too. And you rate, you pump your fist in the air and talk about Malcolm X, which you really only talk about the first half of his life and not the later part of his life, right? Mm-hmm. And right. anyways, you put him in a time warp and you pump your fist in the air and you make sure your friends get the money that comes from this government that they take from taxpayers to help people and not a damn person is really getting help. You know, I got Jesse Jackson, for instance, coming, and he took $83 million, I think, and he educated 12 kids with $83 million, you know? And I'm telling you what, if you had given me $83 million, I could have done a lot more than educate 12 kids, you know? And so I began to realize that, and so I, I came up with this strategy of finding people. It's like I say now when I'm talking to groups, and like, well, I'm like, your tea party needs to go and break down the dehumanization against conservatives in black communities. And they're like, well, we don't have, I'm like, don't go with a clipboard and talk door to door. No, go find a pastor and work with them and, and use your volunteers or your people to volunteer and help. And they're like, yeah, but how do we find a pastor? Because we called, I'm like, don't go to the NAACP and ask that. That's not going to help anybody. I said, get your shoes on, walk down the street, find a drug addict or a prostitute, and ask them, you know, if I go to a hard-hit economic area. Just like, and it's not just a black thing. It's like that's what happens in a lot of really low-income white areas, too. There are problems that come with poverty oftentimes that when they're centralized, like, like the left did throughout the 30s and 40s, and 50s and 60s and 70s where they had this thing where they would build these massive um, published centers. housing units, right? Yeah. They made horrible centers, horrible warehouses for poor income, pe- low-income people. And they did that. So I said, go there and, and you ask the people who are suffering who helps you. And they'll tell you, and you're going to find some pastor 
who isn't the guy, who doesn't get any money from the nonprofit or from the government, from the complex or from the government, and the reason he doesn't get money is because he's not political probably and he's just there to help people. That's probably who you're going to find, and you work with that person. And when you do the Sheila Jackson Lees and the Acorns and the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharpton, all going to come out and they're going to attack you for not working with black leadership. When they do, when they do, you say, "Here's the deal, bro. You've had power long enough and control (laughs) over the resources, and you haven't done anything." The only people who call you a leader is yourself and a bunch of white <laughs> academics from Berkeley and New York, and I'm not going to put up with your crap. And Man, then when that you was, do that, they back off. That was me and CPAC Brandon right there. motherfucking Darby right there. I tried <laughs> to tell you. That was me and CPAC right there, Brandon. That, that's how I felt at CPAC. You know, um, we, we were in a room, and a lot of people were tooting their own horn, talking about what they do amongst the country. And, you know, I don't I knock what people book. do, but I got a hey. book. Yeah, it was all. It was all. I got a book. I have a book. Here's my book. Here's the key. Here's the key to the black community. Here's the key to the poor community. I'm so sick of that, and I am. I'm sick of that now. You know what I mean? So what you're talking about is basically the people getting together, the people making it happen, and the government saying, hey, you guys can't do that without this permit. You can't do that without this authorization. And by the way, why didn't you come with, come to us for help? So then they start attacking you. That's what he said, folks, if you guys weren't listening. We're on the air with Brandon Darby, baby, breaking it down, talking about Hurricane Katrina, amongst other things. And uh, this is what we do. You listen to the KRP radio show, 619-638-8559 is the number. Hit number one if you got a comment. We're going to keep going on with Brandon. Um, let me let me ask you a question, Brandon. I just want to backtrack just a second. Um, uh, amongst all the things that were going on with Hurricane Katrina during, during the midst of it or, or during the heat of the battle, a lot of what we saw was the media showing all the looting, uh, the people running around breaking the stores, you know, folks toting TVs and this may, and, and, and and you know situations like that. But where was the media coverage of the things that you're telling us about? Where was the media coverage of? Were there any media outlets out there that was uh, talking about what you, what you guys were doing? Well, eventually there were. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of. Um a lot of left grassroots media did, but a lot of the mainstream left media didn't because – and I used to get a lot of fire for that because I got too confrontational with the traditional black leadership. And I said, well, sorry, man. So their buddies didn't want to cover us, like NPR didn't cover. But eventually we broke through that barrier and started to get some mainstream coverage. But then what was really weird about the mainstream coverage we got was that, was that like, when we got the mainstream coverage, they were like – these young, heroic people from around the country never mentioning that we started with a bunch of Black Panthers and AK-47s, you know? None of them ever mentioned that. So, and it was, it was just like this total whitewashing of everything that we were. And we were helping people. And by the time mainstream got involved, I was no longer, I no longer identified as a radical at all, you know? I was just very confused about the fact that I didn't get along with people. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a tricky, I mean, there's a whole lot to it. But the basic gist of it is what I told you, and that's, that's just that there's a traditional leadership and the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, to do that thing that the left does. That's what it is. It's a nonprofit industrial complex. And what it does, just like Dambisa Moyo talked about in her book, Dead Aid, what that kind of aid does is it only perpetuates need. That's what the studies show. That's what the facts and the data show. It only perpetuates need. Wow. Yeah, you know. Well, look, since I, I'm the girl on the call, and I promise <laughs> I, I put this I put this out there on Twitter because uh, cause I was trying to ramp it up and get people interested. So 
Um, me and you were having a conversation when we were at the conference, and you told me the difference between conservative and liberal women. And I know we're getting way off subject here, but I know we're going to skip into what you're doing now, too, so I want to get this in before we go there. Tell me the difference that you told me, or tell every, all the listeners the difference you told me between conservative and liberal women. Well, what did I tell you? There's a whole bunch of them. Like, I could, you want the nice version or what? Because I'm, yeah, I'm just telling you now ahead. that, well, like, I'm dating I'm dating a conservative woman who's a very strong, powerful, conservative woman. And, and um, she's a queen. She knows how to, she, she's a woman. And she she knows how to appreciate me being a male. My My whole life as a leftist, I was always taught that my my desire to speak loud, my desire to my desire to be strong and competitive, my desire to to be alpha, my desire that all these things and my desire to protect my woman and that that was paternalistic and paternalism was somehow a bad word and so it's patriarchal and so it's, I was taught these things were always horrible and so on the right now like that I've been on the right I guess I started my my transition really started in Katrina like in 2005 and six and kind of, you know, sped up in 2007 and then really sped up in like 2008 and 9. But um, it's just such a pleasure because it's like like she appreciates me being a man. She appreciates me getting the door. She appreciates me looking out for her and being protective. And that's something I never experienced on the left with all the, like, girls from Code Pink and, and uh, the ACLU that I, who I dated, you know. That's crazy. So, when did you have time uh, to date, man? You- yeah. You're out there playing Superman. How in the hell did you find time to find somebody? I mean, how, how did well, that happen? Well, here's the deal, man. My girlfriend, you know, honestly, I haven't, this is the first time I've dated someone who is, on, on, who is a conservative fighter, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, my girlfriend, she's a fighter just like I am, so we're both fighting. And honestly, it would be hard for anyone else to understand me, and it would be hard for anyone else to understand her because sure. we're both so dedicated. Normally, when I go to travel and talk, she's talking there, too. And normally when I'm on an interview, like right now, uh, we don't get to talk right now because I'm on an interview, and she's on an interview too, you know? And so um, <laughs> Love so it. she's taking on Eric Holder, and uh, I'm taking on Eric Holder. She's doing better than I am. Her book, her name's Katie Pavlich. Her book just made um, made the, the New York Times bestsellers list for Fast and Furious, holding Eric Holder accountable. Everybody mocked her, all the right mocked her, her little bookie book, and then it made the New York Times bestseller list. And now Eric Holder just got contempt charges, you know? So it's like they just voted to, to to get contempt charges for Eric Holder in Congress. So I would say that um, I would say she's a fighter too, you know. And and that's how that's how you know we manage. And I can't imagine how anyone who wasn't fighting could date could date me, you know. I couldn't imagine someone doing that because I would just never be there, you know. Um, <laughs> well, but big, I, I do appreciate it. I do Katie. appreciate it though. Yeah, no doubt. Well, big shout out to Katie because when we were right online, I was, like, tracking her down. So I was like, please don't, you know, don't think I'm crazy. And I I just wanted to shake her. (laughs) I wanted to shake her (laughs) hand. So big big shout out to Katie Pavlich. So awesome Fast and Furious book. So I really wanted to get into that because I found that so funny. He had me laughing for, like, a long time. He was like, because it's nice to just to be able to open the door for a woman and her not being, like, (laughs) You don't need to open my door for me. I got that for my, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I love yeah, it when a dude opens the door. I see nothing door wrong me, with that. Yeah. By opening the door for me, you're participating in a system of oppression that really just denigrates me as you give the fault of I'm like, whoa, oh, dude, whoa. Yeah, it's like, you I just see want, what like, I'm I want to, like, present. Yeah, just like all the women I date on the left, most of them are vegetarians. And so now <laughs> I'm dating somebody who's like, she's like, babe, make some sausage and bacon. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll give her a round of applause too, man. I definitely I gotta give a round of applause to anybody out there who helped uh, get that contempt charge with Eric Holder, man. Shout out, big shout out to Eric Holder right now, who's biting his toenails, probably not his nails, but he's biting his toenails because he's an animal, man, for real. And another thing that I love about Brandon is if you do not follow Brandon on Twitter, you need to be following Brandon Darby on Twitter. Is what is at Brandon Darby. The left and and the wars that you guys have on Twitter is enough to. I mean, the amount of information that you can just bring out from just the Twitter battles. What what have you um find that social networking has put into your whole battle and the way that you fight? Because um us on the right are really taking that seriously, and we're doing a good job at it. But you're a major part of that. So what do you think about the social networking scene now and how it works out? Well, here's the deal. Andrew got me on Twitter. He uh, he sat there with me. I was like, no, come on, I'll help you out. I was like, I don't even know how to do that, dude. He goes, look, I'll show you. He helped me start my account, and he threw me a, a shout-out that got me my first 400 followers right then, like 370 right away. And, yeah, um, I know that. I know so that Breitbart tweet. And, um, yeah, and so I just, I just do it like he did it. When people say something that's not true, I call them out on it. When people are real ugly, I fight back. When people are nice, I'm nice back. When I pump out stories, I, but the thing is, is that people say all the time, like, well, don't you want to reach out to the left? And I was like, man, I've given up on reaching out to the left a long time ago. And they're like, well, that's not right. You just gave up. I said, I didn't give up. I said, I don't fight the left. I don't, I don't, I don't do this to change the left. I do this to change conservatives and get to teach them how to fight the left, you know, because yeah. that's how I, I tell people, I say, I, I just like the flag, but just like the seal, I, I have olive branches in one hand and I have arrows in the other, and, and I can, I can, I, I, give, I can give you what, you what you come at me with. Somebody comes at me, like, putting my phone number and address online and doxing me, I dox them right back. Somebody comes at me and says, you know, like, like you're not trust. Somebody attacked me today, and they're like, you're like, you're not trustworthy, and you and OJ's, kids, your daughter and OJ's kids should go start a support group for having parents who are horrible people. And I said, did you just bring my daughter into something? Okay. My little four-year-old girl. And so then I haven't come back with him yet, but I'm going to because I'm (laughs) waiting for him to do it again. I warned him if he does it again. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about the personal details I've learned of his life today from my researchers. And I'm going to talk about like some of the personal details of his life and see if he, you know, I'll just fight back. And, and I, like I said, I, I like to talk about loving things. I like to talk about how to help people. I like to debate people on, on things. But when people get ugly, like, I can get ugly right back in. And, um, and, and I'll just tell people, you know, like, when somebody is confused or doesn't know what's going on, they call me a snitch. I'm like, well, I'm not a snitch. I didn't tell them a friend because I, I got caught doing the same thing. I didn't get in no trouble. You know, I'm not a snitch. And if they're like, you're a snitch and you deserve death, and I'm like, wow, you know. So then at that point, that's when I'll start to get snarky, you know, and they'll say stuff like, well, didn't, hey, conservative, didn't Jesus tell you to turn the other cheek? And then I'll be like, Jesus did say that, but he didn't say which cheek, so I'm turning my other butt cheek to you. You know, I just say stuff like that all the time. <laughs> that's that's pretty slick, and, um, man. Pretty sharp right there with that one. Wow, that's a good a, comeback. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter is a is a wonderful organizing tool. Um, it's wonderful, and it's also a wonderful way to get thoughts out and 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 to fight back on the left narrative. You know, to to, to support yeah. people because, like, I know right now, you know, we you get all these like groups and um, um, you get all these groups and. There's a couple groups right now who are like, 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 
Andrew Breitbart wasn't a real conservative. You know, he's not conservative enough. We're going to attack everyone who works with him. That's going on right now on Twitter. And I'm like, just ignore him, guys. Don't worry about it, you know. But but it gives you a chance to throw some support out to people who are going through stuff and going through grief. It gives you a chance to, to fire people up because there's nothing nicer than realizing something. Like uh, like those stories that the Times Picayune took off about me, I thought those were gone forever. And then somebody contacted me the other day and was like, oh, look what we found on LexisNexis. I said, what? They're like, this story about you and your woman's shoulder. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, mm. you know? And so then I'm like, hey, check it out. At Times Picayune, look, at NOLA News, look what you did. And you start holding them accountable, so then reporters start calling me saying, what happened? What happened? And I'm like, here's the facts. Here's the proof. And they're like, yeah. whoa. And I'm like, that's right. And so now they're going to be held accountable. And it's all because someone I met on Twitter actually helped me, and then a bunch of people on Twitter made a big deal out of it, so then the right reporters saw it, you know. So Twitter is wonderful. Twitter is an amazing tool, um, and it's, it's my, one of my main battlefields, you know. I like to, I like to battle on Twitter. Let, let me ask you, though, Brandon, uh, um, do you hear from any of the people that, you know, that helped you or that supported and, and you know, that got down and was in the trenches with you? Um, you know, just the regular people, because, you know, folks are scattered all over the place. Oh, man. Okay, here's how this works out. The white activists, the radical left activists, hate me. They write the worst things about me. Brandon Darby's a, a womanizer, a misogynist. He's a homosexual womanizer. I mean, I'm like, how am I a homosexual and a womanizer, you know? <laughs> like, Which one is it? You know, he's a he's a weakling who never did anything good. And then the other one saying, like, the next day, they're like, he's a mastermind who planted bombs on people to bust them to justify the terrorism budget of the FBI. He's an Assad hitman. I mean, it's crazy stuff. But here's the deal. I have never had a black resident from New Orleans who I worked with come out against me. Never. The only one who did is the ones who are, like, really far left, like Acorn. Acorn yeah, founder Wade Rasky, who's actually white. He said it's a shame I snitched on my friends about the bomb plot I helped stop, implying that it's a shame that Republicans didn't get bombed and burned and cops didn't get bombed and burned. Uh, Malik wow. Rahim, all the former Panthers have come out against me and said some really ugly stuff. Um, but none of the black residents I worked with, which were thousands of them, they, they still to this day support me. The last time I went to New Orleans, one of the churches I helped rebuild, I, I told them I was coming. I went. When I got there, they turned the whole service into a celebration of me coming back. I nice. thought it made me cry because I had been so hated by leftists in that city. And uh, and they're Democrats, but it, it, it's not political to them, you know. Like it's not about mm-hmm. that. And um, and so they were just very very supportive of me. And I've I've uh, I've had nothing but support. But what's funny is when left media calls to attack me, like Mother Jones did it, and they'll talk to all these white activists. I said, well, why don't you talk to some of the black leadership in the ninth ward? Talk to the black residents I worked with. And they never do, or they'll talk to them and never include it in the story because it messes up their narrative. They're like, well, the people who worked with you, I'm like, true, a lot of people who worked with me don't, don't like me, but none of the black residents don't like me. It's all these, like, white radical anarchists from Berkeley who really, they didn't come to help me anyways or to help the people in New Orleans. They came to teach us to live correctly. And I said, tell them that. They'd be like, they'd be like that guy over there, resident or not, he needs to go out of this shelter. And I'm like, why? Because like, he called me baby. I'm like, did he say baby or baby? And they're like, they're like, what does it matter? I'm like, it really doesn't, but that's just how people talk in the South. I say baby and sugar all the time. Yeah. I've tried to tone it down because I'm in a relationship and I don't want women to take it the wrong way and disrespect my girlfriend, but I say it all the time. And I'm like, that's how we talk in the South. Yeah. And, and us like, Southern so girls like it. Put, I know, us but that's what you came here like to help it. us put rules on. 
If you mm-hmm. want to put a roof on our house, put a roof on our house and help us. But don't, like, come here and start telling us how to live correctly. That's yeah, a sense of You know, I had to tell them, I said that the black residents of New Orleans are not lab rats for your, like, like you know, UCF, you know, University of California, Berkeley campus, like, studies and, and your philosophies, you know. Because they used to say that. I'd be like, okay, guys, let's pick this water up and bring it to the ninth ward. These bottles, these boxes of water up. Let's go. And they'd say, wait a minute, brother. I have a hard time with one white male telling us, <laughs> predominantly females, what we should do and not do. And they sit down and want to talk about this process. And I said, well, you know what I have a hard time with? I have a hard time with a bunch of rich white kids sitting on boxes of water talking about what process makes them feel better when they're elderly black residents who need water. So let's let's go toe-to-toe on this, you know? You know what? um, So that's 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 that thing with the left, man. Well, well, you know, speaking of of lab rats too, Brandon, and, and, you know, no pun intended, but I – what what's the deal on this Superdome thing, man? You hear so much, and and I wasn't there. Uh, by the time I got to New Orleans, I did get to see a lot of things that were going on, but it had passed already. It was a year and some change later. Uh, what was the deal with the Superdome and moving people into the Superdome? And if you know, what were those condi- what those, what were those conditions like at the time? Well, that's the thing, you know, and that's one of the things. See, this is what a lot of people don't realize is um, my relief activism, like as a and disaster activism. Mm-hmm. It it started a year before Katrina. One year before Katrina, almost to the day, there was a storm that came, and it was called Hurricane Ivan. Now, Ivan was coming to the city. People were like, "Oh, it's going to come hit us." The day before it hit, everyone the, the city ordered ten thousand body bags. Right? They right, knew. Right, they were like, right. "Oh, all of our poor, all of our poor are going to die." And um, you know, they ordered ten thousand body bags. Well, the last minute. It turned and it went north and didn't hit the city. Mm-hmm. And so that was a year before. Well, so all the social justice groups, all the community organizations like Acorn, who get all the government dollars, mm-hmm. right, to teach people to be self sufficient, they didn't do that. They didn't do anything to help people to get more self sufficient. They didn't take those dollars that were tax dollars and do anything about it. None of the schools did. None of anybody did. The teachers' union there was a horrible situation, and they didn't do anything to help anybody. So one year later, when a storm hits and nobody knows about it, and once again 10,000 black residents who are low-income can't get out of the city, you know, and nothing was done to plan for it, and everyone's like, the government did it. I'm like, the only thing the government did wrong was give money to you fools, you know, and expect you to actually, like, help your community because you didn't do jack, you know. So that was – that was a, a big experience, that, that a big learning thing for me. And I was like, you know, the problem here is people need to be taught self-sufficiency, you know. People need to, this mentality, people need to be taught self-sufficiency. It's like, look, man, you live in a disaster area, yeah. and you need to know. Like, well, I didn't even know there was a storm coming. I'm like, you need to know that, you know. There's no excuse for that. Like, as a person, you need to know you know, do I think that government and that, that should, should have left you to starve for a week? No, I don't, you know. But at the same time, it's like as individuals, you need to be, there need to be programs to empower you that are citizen-led. Like, well, the problem is is none of the programs funded by government are empowering, and that's because government perpetuates itself. They're not sure. interested in not perpetuating themselves. Even the people who are well-intentioned intentioned in the programs, you know, who are administering them, don't realize that's just what they do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it's very important that the programs that do this are funded by citizens 
and and not funded through a faraway bureaucracy. You know, people people can help people better than a federal government can. And the leftists will say, well, wait a minute, that is the people helping. I'm like, no, that the liberal model is that a bunch of people around the table in a faraway place make all the decisions, make all the control what what happens, and and how someone's helped 2,000 miles away. And the problem with their disaster response model is that they're taught and they try to shut down anything that isn't in their grasp of control or that they can't can't anticipate what they're going to do. And so what that means is, just like in Texas last, last summer, there was a drought, there were a lot of fires, and I began to go around and talk, and I got all these churches to say, okay, well, We'll open up, you know, our we'll open up our all these people from churches say we'll open up our home to a family from from who who had their house burned down, right? And um, I go to the Red Cross shelter in Austin and I said that and I said, hey, you know, we have like 200 churches in the local area, 200 people from churches who are willing to take all these people. You don't have to have them living in a dorm like this, you know? Yeah. And they're wow. like, these are ours. And I'm like, these are ours. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? They're like, these are mine, you know? And I'm like. Okay, you know, and I was like, why would you, and that's the thing is because their funding is dependent on how many people they get in there and how long they keep them, you know, so it's like, they they don't, if they have to have them there three days to get any funding, you know, then they're not going to let them leave on day number two, you know, because they need the funding, and in their mind, and see that all the decisions are made, and I said, wait a minute, so you're telling me, like, this community, this local community is geared up to take care of its own problem, and you're going to shut any, any any effort of them of theirs down simply because you're the Red Cross and you see it's a liberal model. It's funded with conservative dollars. The nonprofit industrial complex is fueled by conservative dollars, mm-hmm. but it's led by liberals using a liberal methodology for how they do things. That's the problem. That's why people don't get help. Well that's why I'm glad to be standing beside you in this fight because that is the kind of help we get on this show uh, every week, and we're trying to explain um, self-independence, and we're trying to um, explain empowerment, and we're trying to explain what the difference is in dependency and actually owning your own land and having your own um, retirement savings, controlling your own financial assets. And I know it was brilliant for, to have you on and to just explain your experiences to have us go there. But now you're working on something that I find equally as important as as anything that you've done in the past with this uh, with human and child trafficking. So I wanted to make sure we get that in because that is so important. You can go ahead and and tell us what you're doing with that now as well. Please. Well, so what I've done is I kind of just try to do things by example. So what I've done is I've turned my home into a into a shelter for human trafficking victims. And um, and I've done it with Tea Party dollars, you know. Uh, I pay my mortgage. I'm not benefiting from that. Um, but I, I've turned my home into a shelter. And so far, so good. And sometimes we have a bunch of people. Sometimes we don't because it's all dependent on different investigations and, and what the advocates are, of, of the victims I work with and who they have and having the right situation and, yada, you know. Um, but uh, that's what we're doing. And so what I've done is um, – I've used my relationships I made within law enforcement and the FBI, and when people bring to me these, they tell me about these horrible situations, I investigate them or I have other people investigate them, and if I deem them to be true, then I go to the FBI and I say, why aren't you doing something about this? And they're like, what? I'm like this. And they're like, oh, because blah, blah, blah. And then I try to hold them accountable 
or work with them to get them to actually do the investigation. And so far, so good. It's worked out a lot of times, and it's caused a lot of um, a lot of a lot of people to get help because a bunch of people working together, citizens without governmental dollars, to to, to try to help the victims of, of modern day slavery. Um, there's a lot to that, even you know. There's a lot to to why it's so hard to get investigations going about human trafficking under Holder's DOJ. There's a lot going on with that. There's a there's a reason why left media doesn't want to talk about the fact that there's an increase in, in slavery, literal slavery, sex slavery of young girls, oftentimes underage, against their will, being forced to have sex with men for money, you know, getting beaten, sometimes killed. There's a reason left media doesn't talk about it, because this situation in our country is only possible because of a porous border. It's only possible because we have, as a nation, have decided to abandon the rule of law. And I'm, not, I'm all about it. I'm like, come, if you want to be an American, the greatest gift you can have in this world, if you want to be an American and you want to come and work hard, then come. But, but damn it, come legally, you know? That's right. Come legally. Come legally like all my ancestors did. Come legally, you know? And, and, and make it easy for people to come legally. Dude, I'm not like, great, like, fix it, whatever. But, but damn it, come legally. And, and if you're this government and law enforcement, don't, don't refuse to enforce your own laws on a border because when you do that, when you shut down FBI investigations, when you don't allow them to investigate corruption on the border other than token gestures, what you end up with is people do what makes money. And what makes as much money as cocaine, what does? That's right. Sex. Trafficking women. Sex. Yeah. Sex, sex, sex. And there are young girls, and I hear about them all the time, and I look into it. And believe you me, there are cases right now in the state of Texas that I can't, if I can't get the FBI to look into something, something's wrong, you know. Yeah. And um, when, I, when it's legitimate, and, and um, I'm having a really hard time with it, you know. Uh, they, wow. they, they, the Holders Justice Department took, took a couple of the agents I was working with, reassigned them to other states. I mean, got really pissed off because we, they initiated a bunch of these investigations because they're not simple investigations. They've gone to a point system in the FBI and the DOJ where, where quick investigations, you know, are politically expedient and cost less. Um, and so the guys who really want to do a long-term job and help people and, and have to house, you know, victims, and uh, they don't want to do that, you know. And, um, and so they've shut a lot of that down. And so now my activism, like I said, I come with, with olive, olive branches or I come with arrows, and, like, like, like they're going to take care of these human trafficking. These human traffickers are going to pay a price for what they're doing. You can't enslave people, you know, and force little girls to have sex and then get away with it in the United States. And a year later, after that information is given to the FBI, still be walking around doing it to girls. That's not okay in this country. But, see, the left media doesn't want to cover it because it goes against their argument on border issues. It highlights they just want to not talk about the border. They don't want to bring up the border. Mainstream media doesn't want to talk about the border. No story about the border. They want Americans not to think about the border. Think about gay marriage. Think about, like, the war on women and Sandra Fluke and think about Julia. Or think about, but do not think about the border. Don't bring up the word border on mainstream media because Americans, we don't want them to see the consequences to our, to our ideological, you know, uh, fight about the border. And so that's the problem. Is and it, one thing, when they always do talk about the border, it is always, like you said, they bring up the drugs if they do bring it up. And and that's like the only thing they bring up. Or now with Fast and Furious is the government giving, um, giving guns to the cartels and then them turning up with dead Mexican bodies and even uh, um, border agent Brian Terry, God rest, 
God rest his soul and bless his family. Um, in addition to that, with, with the trafficking coming in and all of this stuff that's going on, I like when you explain your methodology for getting to work. And and not so not so much of waiting for the government to you know you call them out and hold them accountable when it's necessary, but your plain philosophy of how you see a problem and you fix a problem instead of of waiting for the government to come in and do it or even worse being one of these people who do nothing more than just sit around and say there's a problem there's a problem. Take a second. That and, is a lot worse. Yeah, that them. is a lot worse. Share with them your your passion, because th- when you talk, that's all I hear, and it's very little that can ki- get me to shut up for as long. And if you ask P, most of the time I'm the one running my mouth on the show, <laughs> and this time I'm like in dead silence because your passion comes through, and that is such an impressive thing, and I think that is what's really needed to go into these communities. So if you could passionately speak to the black community and, and try to break the narrative that is currently put in by, by those leftists. What would you say specifically targeted towards the black community? Well, I think that most people realize it in the black community and they, they just don't know that there's much they can do otherwise. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a false narrative. It's not true, you know, and I think that that's something that really matters. I think a lot of times in black communities, there's a social conservatism that's definitely there, you know, sure. And part of social conservatism is a, is, a, is a belief in honesty and a value to honesty and doing what's right. You know, it's not right to lie. It's not right to deceive people. And so here's what I honestly believe from all my experiences. I can debate it, discuss it, you, can, you know, with anyone in the world. I'll do it to them blue in the face if they'll hear me. But here's the situation, right, is when you allow people to misrepresent history and, and further you know, like these, 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 I call them racial profiteers, like at Toure, you know, Toure or the People's we Institute or pimps. Al Sharpton even. Yeah, well, we yeah not say racial pimps. profiteers. But <laughs> if you allow them to continue to manipulate, like, mm-hmm. like, manipulate your communities, you end up with young people who would otherwise do a lot of really productive good stuff with their lives. You end up with them giving their lives and living their lives and basing their lives on false narratives and things that aren't true. Things that aren't true, and you just can't, you can't allow that. It's not right. You know, it's not right when someone says, well, the FBI entraps people. And I'm like, I have extensive experience. No, they don't. There's no way. Well, yeah, but they always did. And I'm like, it's a long, they don't do that. So when you, when you convince people to not participate in our system, right, not participate in our system, you are not doing what Frederick Douglass fought for. You are not doing what, what black, black, black leaders throughout history have fought for. They did not fight, predominantly did not fight for people not to participate. They fought for people to be able to participate. So now falling into these predominant left narratives, like predominantly white left narratives at that that were developed by the Bill Ayers and, and the other academics at Harvard and, and Berkeley and so forth, to fall into these narratives that not participating, like Dead Prez says, you know, like, we don't vote to get into this shit. We don't vote to get out. And it's like, what a negative message to tell young people. You know, as me as a young activist, like, as a young activist, I hated cops. I hated the FBI. I wanted them to go away. I was at war with them. And now, as an older person, I'm like, oh, my God, all those people I could have helped if I had no, had enough sense to have a relationship, understand how the FBI works so I could hold them accountable and try to appeal 
like I'll call an FBI agent and be like, hey, here's this, and if they don't care, I'll call another. I will call agents everywhere in this country until I find one who cares, and when yeah. that one cares, I'll be like, yes, I'll find that right person who cares, just like finding that nice person at TSA or that nice person at the tax office who will actually spend time to help you rather than the one who's in a bad mood. That's yeah. anyway with any bureaucracy. And so, you know, it's, it's just encouraging people to get involved. And there is something beautiful. I used to be a revolutionary, and I was so wild. And then this person who was involved in the formation of the FARC, which is the communist guerrillas in, in, in Colombia, and they said, you know, Brandon, in the 60s and stuff, we were so dedicated. But the problem with the revolution, Brandon, is that when you have one, half the people who show up are like you and they're altruistic and they want to help, but the other half of the people are always narco-traffickers who want, want power and they have guns and they kill. And I was like, well, no, it doesn't have to be. And she goes, yes, it's always that way. It's a miracle that this country turned out like it did from a revolution because it always turns into that. And then I began to look at that and go, do I want that for my country? No. There's stability here. Is it perfect? No. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of wrong things that happen. But, but we have steady, and, from, and that's what I began to realize in the, in the United States, we have steady went from a nation with slaveholders, right, with an ideal, to working towards that ideal. We have steadily gotten better. And if you look at fairness and, and, um, and you look at just like, like nice lives and, and justice and, 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 and love and peace, like we have steady like, grown, we, if we take some steps back, but we have steady gone up the ladder for hundreds of years. We are, we, are, we are bettering ourselves for hundreds of years as a people. And to throw that out over an injustice or to throw that out at this point it, it's not only it's not only is it against I think what Frederick Douglass was going for, not is it, is it against what most black leadership and Martin Luther King had gone for, but it's just against everything that our forefathers fought. It's just against everything. Like it's against logic to to not participate. There so you encouraging go. people to participate and not having this anger towards the system that the system isn't. You know, you want to talk about prisons and how unfair prisons are. Like. I think there's a lot of unfairness in, in what I call the I call it the prison industrial complex. Now that it's privatized, I buy that language. But here's the problem: is that 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 you, you this our system is not a system of far away. It's not supposed to be a system of with its own personality. It's supposed to be a system that mirrors what we want it to be. That's what it's supposed to be, you know. And so if you don't think the system cares enough, that's because you don't care enough. That's because we don't care enough on an issue. And so going at the, the system needs to crash. No, the system is what we want it to be, and it adapts to what we want it to be when we care enough, when we get involved, and when we fight for it. But see, here's the thing. is I learned, like, change doesn't come easy, you know? That's right. And, and there's, there's something beautiful about that. People who get mad about it, you know, institutionalizing anything. When I was at Common Ground in New Orleans, man, I couldn't institutionalize anything in our group. And I began to look at this stuff, and I just go, how did the founding fathers of the United States institutionalize these systems of government? Because I can't institute. When I leave for a week, people try to throw a coup, you know? And yeah. I'm like, how did they institutionalize this? Yeah. How did they do it? And, and I began to realize that that's a miracle in itself, that something mm -hmm. was institutionalized and has, last, has lasted hundreds of years and gotten better. That's insanity. And so I began to look at that and go, as much as slow as things that are bad, right, take a long time to institutionalize, and we all appreciate that because it gives us time to absorb it and to fix it. Well, stability means that things that are good take a long time to change too. 
That's the catch. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You know. I, like you if know you, what? If you want a stable system, change takes time and hard work. It's you not know what lazy. I, Leftism is, is inconsiderate. It's 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 not compat. It's compassion, but it, it's like lazy compassion. It's like, well, I want them to take money and organize this, and it's like organize it your damn self. If you want to see shelters, you're like, well, I just want women who are pregnant to come. Well, then open your doors up and let them come to your house. You know. And Brandon, you put the I, word I, out on Twitter, and people will help you. I think what I, what I think in large part, man, and and you know, just if you want to speak on the poor community or black community or what may have you, or, or tie those two together if you like, but I, I think you you hit one key thing. It takes time, and a lot of what us in general, whether it's conservatives or left or people on the right, is we don't realize a lot of people died trying to make that change, and it still was left unaccomplished. And a lot of what they were doing, they passed along to someone else to finish the bill. And and a lot of time was spent in the communities with the people where the the most change needed to take place. What we're seeing today is people won't people aren't willing to put in that time because I think in large part they don't have the love to actually go in these communities and, and want to help people. So you know, my, my, what I realize is that it's going to take the rest of my life to probably enlighten maybe a thousand or two people on to get on the level where I am to understand that hey, we have to be individuals and not part of a group per se. And, and the reason I say that, you know, I call myself a black conservative because I think that's needed to be said. Um, but in large part, I realize that I define conservatism. Conservatism doesn't re- really define me. The actions and the things that I believe in, my heart, my soul, my mission, it's all conservative values. So, you know, what we do shines a light on conservatism. And that that's just a fact. But you hit the, you hit the nail on the head when you said time. And I just wish a lot of people would realize that, hey, this is not going to be done overnight. It's going to take a lot of time, but it's also going to take a lot of love and a lot of attention. You're going to have to go to the places that you're talking about, go to the places that you're uncomfortable, and speak to the people that you don't normally speak to and really get down and understand what makes them tick and what works in their communities. We all feel like we have an idea, but you don't know until you go there. Right, well, and, and that's one of the things yeah. people used to say, well, how, how, how could you possibly, so like, how can you all have such a high success rate with your shelter? And, how come every, and I'm like, because I don't put up with bullshit. And they're like, well, what is that? I'm like, they're like, yeah, but you have to. I was like, no, I don't because I don't take federal dollars, so I don't have to follow anybody else's rules. It's my house. I don't put up with bulls. So if you're there and you're trying to better yourself, I will, I will sell things to help you. But yeah. if you're there and I feel for one second that you're not trying to better yourself, you know, I will kick you out. <laughs> like, I will kick you out. And they're like, well, yeah, but I have five days. And I'm like, no, I don't care who said that. I don't take their dollars. You don't have five days. You're getting out right now, you know? That's right. So I just don't tolerate it, and I don't spend my time on people. When you have a big system, it makes it inevitable that in order to help people, you also have to, like, leave some room for people to mooch off of it and take resources that are there to help people. But mm-hmm. when when you have a system that's locally based, like, I, I know if someone's in my house, I know if they're getting up every morning to do right better than Barack Obama does, okay, who's in D.C. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know right. if they're in my house. You know, he knows in his house. I know in my house. So why on earth would he tell me and his people tell me who I do and don't have to help? You know, it's like I know who's in my house, you know. I know who's trying to do right. And, and why depend on the them thing. to help so, us? <laughs> you know, why, do, why I, the hell do we don't depend think it's on necessary. them? It ain't necessary. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that maybe it is. Maybe in some situations, like, you know, if, if, if there's a baby and the parents were irresponsible and the baby's dying of cancer, would I let a baby die? I wouldn't let a baby die, you know. And I'm glad that there's something for that baby. I, I really am. Like, but, but in the general sense of, of, of everyday life, for the average person, no. You know, no, like, like 
can help each other. And um, people have come in my, my place before, and they'd be like, hey, um, I'm going to get on food stamps. And I'm like, why? I'm like, I've offered you work. Uh, these people have work for you. You can do that work, stuff you're physically competent to. They're like, yeah, but it's just like it's real hot out there. And I'm like, then you need to leave my place. And they're like, you're going to kick me out because I'm trying to eat. I'm like, no, I'm going to kick you out because I didn't bring you here. And I didn't, I didn't just open my home up and take the risk of you stealing all my crap. You I know? like this, dude. And, like, me not knowing you for, for <laughs> you to, like, go and, like, like, get more dependent. Like, we're here to get you independent, and we've provided you a couple of opportunities, and you've turned them down, and you should just go now. You know, and they're like, well, that's crazy. I'm like, call it what you want, but that's what you're going today. And in fact, you're going right now, you know. Or you, want not, you cannot be on food stamps in my house. You cannot do it. And so... But I'm saying the Tea Party funded this. The Tea Party, when I reach out for resources, they show up, you know. And that's one of the things you'll say, well, you're just being paternalistic about you're a white, you're on a white horse as a white man using your privilege. And I'm like, what if I do have privilege and I'm using it to help people? So what? They're like, well, because ultimately you're participating in a system that just re- re- perpetuates the system. I'm like, no, you're a leftist and you're telling me I'm participating in a system that perpetuates itself. Me. Come on, man. Like, don't you know, talk right? that with me. And that's the thing is people aren't used to that. People aren't used to some white dude being able to talk lit back to someone who's – because most of the people who get involved, and it's not because people on the right don't care, but the reason so many people who are in nonprofits are leftists is because they have systems that they make you adopt if you want to help people. So yeah, yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. a grandmother who's a conservative and you show up, and they're like, okay, we're going to have this training and this training and political perspectives, and like – I don't want to. I didn't show up. People used to at New Orleans that say, that say, that like the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond was like, well, we don't want to c- declare you a white supremacist organization, and so, and I don't mean that in the literal sense. Like, like they don't mean it like I'm a Klan member. They mean it like in an academic sense, right? Mm-hmm. That I don't care enough about systems of oppression. And they said, so, so why don't you have all of your people who come through come to our three day training? I'm like, how much is it? They're like, it's 300 per person. I'm like, there do you is. want 21,000 people to go through and pay you 20, as a nonprofit? Are you going to call me white supremacist? Really? And I'm like, so you tell me that if a plumber comes who wants to help somebody build their home, they're here for five days on their vacation, you want three of those days to sit, sit through your undoing racism training? Don't you think it would undo more racism <laughs> if there is any for them to be in that home with that black family than it would be to sit in your your training? No doubt. For three hundred dollars, and so that's the kind of problem that that you run into. But you have to know how to talk back to people and know how to reach out <laughs> to people for help. You know, yeah. like I do for a second. If I'm starting to talk back, it's going to start calling me a racist. First person I'm calling is Anita Moncrief and Sonny, being like, being like, oh, <laughs> you want to use this leftist attack on me? Well, okay, so you're a black male attacking me. Well, guess what, leftist? Now I'm going to get two black females to attack you, and you can't talk back based on your own rules, right? And I'll you know? be there. they're females. And I'll be there, but, too. Then, I know, but I'm just saying, it's funny to use, like, we were at this rally for True to Vote, which is this organization that's all about voter integrity in Houston, led by a woman named Catherine Engelbrecht. They are amazing, uh-huh. truethevote.org. And they're called Catherine, racist, and they're trying yeah. to take black people's rights. They're trying to take the rights of black people away, and they're not doing that at all. I know them. They're awesome, amazing people. And yeah, most yeah. of the black conservatives I know, they say, wait a minute. They're like, my, my people fought too hard for the right to vote. You're not taking it away. And most of the black conservatives say, my people fought too hard for the right to vote. You're not going to bastardize it and make it my vote not count because of corruption. You know. And so the black conservatives defend them. And then this like white liberal reporter started arguing. I said, wait a minute. 
you're a white woman with privilege, and she's a low-income black woman. Aren't you supposed to not argue? And she was like, oh. I know, right? That's, like, well, racism. that's what you say. That, I thought it was right. If you disagree with her, clearly it's because you have issues with, with racial racial resentment. You know? And they're like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, isn't that what you said about the Tea Party when they didn't agree with Obama? You know, and they're like, that's different. Ooh. I'm like, how is it different? How is it different? You know? No one can explain it. They can't explain how it's different, man. I, you know, I want to take a, sh- a sec to give a shout-out to all the Twitter followers out there. I, there's no way I can read all you guys' name, names off, but, you know, big shout-out to you guys, man, for um, for shouting us out and, and keeping the show relevant so we can bring people like Brandon on, Sonny Yawn, and, and my man Kevin Daniels. Shout-out to you, my brother, and and other folks on with you know as, on equal caliber, on all levels and all cylinders. You know, it's not a whole lot of shows where you can go on and just hold no punches. And, and just really go in and talk about these issues. And for a white guy to be talking about these issues from the perspective that you have, I think is totally amazing. And, and you know, man, shouts out to you, brother. I, I wish you the best out here, man. Well, awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's just hard to call someone a racist when they spent six months on a dirt floor to help a community. You know, it's like really hard to call someone a racist. Some people would do it, but most people won't because, you know, when people have the knowledge, People, the left just doesn't want to, they just don't want to, it's like they don't want to talk about the border. Well, they just don't want me to talk about it, you know. They just don't want to embrace it at all. So they just ignore me about this issue. They'll talk about me being a womanizer, which no one ever said until I came out as a, at working with Andrew and working with the FBI, helping them. And all of a sudden, all these evil things, right? Before yeah. that, I was a guy that started a woman's shelter. Then I was a womanizing homosexual, you know. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. And, and so they say all these things. But what they, they they don't want to have this discussion. I'll say it all the time. I'm like, you want to have an argument with me? Let's talk about human trafficking. And they'll be like, womanizer. <laughs> and I'm like, no, let's talk about like what happened in New Orleans in the aftermath of Katrina. And they'll be like, womanizer. They don't want to have the discussion because they know they can't have the discussion because they know when the dehumanization is gone, their argument for dependence doesn't match yes. up with an argument for yep. liberty and self-sufficiency. Yep. It doesn't match up. Well, I want to dehumanize you. That's why the humanization is there. I want to dehumanize you. I want to dehumanize you. No, I don't want to dehumanize. I want to humanize you. I was just listening to your words. Let me get it right. I want to humanize you. Because something else that that Brandon did when I I got to meet him is me and him sat for for a while, and we went over some songs with each other. Oh, God. All right? Oh, yes. Okay, so don't even get it twisted. Brandon, oh. Brandon had me like, oh, my goodness, no, you didn't. Yeah, I heard him say Dad <laughs> Prez earlier. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, no it it's, it's not even Dad Prez. What kind of what kind of music was we singing, I was, Brandon? I was singing Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. <laughs> We're hitting it. Yeah, and we sang, oh, wait, 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 wait. We sang uh, Keith Sweat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Keith Sweat. And we sang, uh, what was that guy's name, Gregory Abbott or something? He had that song, Shake You Down. Remember that song? Yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, and we sang some Bob Marley. We sang Turn Your Lights Down Low. You know? Yeah, y'all, I, what I were remember y'all, that. Let me ask that. What, what were you drinking? <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just like the song, there was a fire. We're by the pool. There's a fire. Everybody's chilling. The sun's going down. Uh-huh. You can't help it, man. And then Keith Sweat, I'll I, I just be honest, some of those songs, like, they were from my teen years, my, my teen years, but some of the old stuff, like, when you get into, like, you get into, um, you know, what's that song, like, I would never do anything, like, I would never do anything to hurt you. It's like, oh, man. It's like such a, it's just such a powerful.
powerful love song. Or, oh, wait, 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 wait. How's it going? It's like, it's like, there you go. Like, there you go telling me no again. Remember that one? Yeah. Remember yeah. how good that song was? That's a good song. Yes. And then there's that other one. It's like, it's like, who can love you like me? Nobody. Nobody. It's like, oh, oh, my man. God. Oh, swear. You, you know, but you remember those songs. You remember yeah. those songs, don't you? Because they're just like, like that song in particular is such a love song, you know? It's like if you just imagine, like imagine this. You're with the woman you love, right? Or in Sunny's case, a man, whatever. That's fine. Or a woman. I don't know. That's not my business. No, don't say. But, you know, <laughs> no, but imagine this. Imagine this, right? You're in your house. No, look, you're in your house. You got, like, white linen curtains, right? The windows are open. It's a cool breeze. It's in the fall. A little breeze is blowing the curtains. You got some candles lit. Your woman comes home, and the sun is starting to go down. You know, we're starting to get so pretty inside. And then she walks in the room, and then you just go, you start singing that key sweat to her, you know? And, like, what, what do you, you think is going to happen if you do that, you know? Shut up, Katie! 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 And I'm telling you what, man, or, or even that song about lay your head on my pillow. It's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey we just, appreciate man. it whether y'all can sing or not. We appreciate the effort. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad, <laughs> we're glad you do. I can keep going if you want to, because I'm going to tell you what, Sam Cooke, some of the Sam Cooke songs, <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't beat that. Or Otis, that's how strong my love is. You know, it's like, it's like, I'll be the weeping willow, so deep and wide. Catch up. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness, man. I'll be the ocean. You know, it's like, oh, no. And so you, at, I, you just got, can't beat that. You can't beat that. We got at Brandon Darby, man. You guys look up, up on Twitter, at symbol Brandon Darby, D-A-R-B-Y, in here singing it, bringing it with the Otis Red and the Al Green, baby. This is what it is, man. This is truth, and, you know, just truth in his words. Brandon, I think I think you offered a lot tonight, man. I thought I think you gave a lot to the to the listeners out there. You definitely gave a lot to me. I got a page full of notes right here, but um, I'm gonna ask you for one last thing before we close the show, brother. I just want to ask you because I'm very interested in the human trafficking issue, very. So if you could yeah. uh, if you could give us some information where we could maybe get more well versed on a topic or where individuals could go to learn a little bit more about it and uh, kind of educate themselves about it, that would definitely help me. Yeah, so here's the deal. Get on Twitter. Look up at Brandon Darby. Contact me. My public email address is Brandon Michael Darby, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-D-A-R-B-Y at gmail.com. Contact me. Get a hold of me. Let's organize. Let's figure out a way to get some stuff together. Don't call me and say, 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 uh, say where can I get involved? Because I'm going to say to you, like, you're already involved by contacting me. Let's figure out a way together to create a system for people to get involved with so we can get a little bigger than just a few people helping on this issue, you know? Um, Let's let's, let's do it. Let's work on it. Because I'm going to tell you what, man, I'm going to tell you what, the day that conservatives begin to embrace the argument and say, I'm a conservative, and that means that I believe in helping people in a way that helps them and not perpetuates their need, and the day conservatives hold the left accountable on that, that false narrative, which is their biggest false narrative, the day conservatives do that is the day conservatives win a bunch of elections. If Romney came out talking like that, he would get 10 or 15% more of the vote, you know, And because most people who are left are not leftists at all. If I said to them, 
do you think like a central federal government does a better job of helping people than a local family or community? They would say no. That means they're not leftists at all. They just buy into a false narrative. We need to crash it. Contact me. Let's figure out. Let's let's go on the move. You know, let's do it. I'm looking forward to working with you in the future so much, Brandon. Thank you so much for coming on. You're an absolute pleasure, and I'm so glad I got to meet you and call you friend. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on tonight, guys. You got it. it. We'll see you soon. Uh, And we'll have you back on, too, Brandon, uh, real soon, maybe in a month or a couple months. So we'll we'll be in touch. Just let me know. You got it. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye. All right. Folks, it's the end of the show. We went over a little bit. Sonny, you got any shout outs? We got we let Brandon go without giving any shout outs, so you have to give some. I give it to I mean to Brandon. He he is instant instant sunshine when you meet him. He's like one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And when you hear his story, it's just I mean, wow. So give a big shout out to Brandon and to Katie. But to all the conservatives that's taking all the crap on Twitter and on Facebook but still doing it, big shout out to all of you. Keep it up. I'll fight beside you until my last breath and know that that's the truth. And and we're ready. That's what it is, man. Shout out to everybody at the Frederick Douglass Foundation. All my listeners out there, shout out to you guys, all the Twitter followers, Facebook, friends, family, folks. You know what, man? Just do what you could do, folks. If you if you don't if you haven't learned anything from this um, conversation that we had, it wasn't an interview. It was basically just a conversation and a narrative by Brandon. But uh, if you hadn't learned anything, just know this: that you can make a difference somehow. If he didn't teach you anything, that you can make a difference. Your individual self, just you, all alone by yourself. You, you start to do something good, and people will follow. So you know, just hold course, hold steady, and keep doing something positive. Don't forget, folks, every Sunday, same time, same place, 8 p.m., we are on the line at the KRP Radio Show, KIRPRadioShow.com, at symbol KRP Radio Show on Twitter, at symbol NC Pudgy is me, at symbol Sonny Johnson is Sonny. Hit us up, folks. We'll see you guys next week right here on the KRP Radio Show. Thanks, and one love. Do with this time, I go for mine, I get to shine. Let's go your hand.